Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. This is another edition of the Spotlight Series. Now, the Spotlight Series is where myself and my friends, we sit down and we talk about our favourite musicians, be it local, be it worldwide, musicians that have influenced us, inspired us, impacted us as musicians ourselves. We talk about their careers, their legacy, their music, we listen to some of the songs that they've played on and we analyse those songs the best way that we know how. This is certainly not a new concept. We're not changing the game here. We're just hanging out, bouncing stories off each other, sharing information that the others may not have known, but in the process, adding to the legacy of these brilliant musicians. So today's episode is all about legendary American drummer, Steve Gadd. Stephen Kendall Gadd, born April 9th, 1945, is an American drummer, percussionist and session musician. Gadd is one of the most well-known and highly regarded studio drummers in the industry, recognised by his induction into the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame in 1984. Steve's performances on Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover and Late in the Evening, Steely Dan's Asia, Chick Corea's Night Sprite and Al Jarreau's Spain are legendary and some examples of his style. One of the most influential drummers of all time, Steve Gadd set a standard in contemporary drumming techniques and performance, and in doing so, launched a thousand imitators. Joining me today to talk about Steve Gadd are four outstanding drummers and friends of mine. Lance Phillip, Hamish Stewart, Gordon Rittmeister, and Darren Ferrugia. These guys have also previously been guests on the Gig Life podcast, so if you haven't already, go and check those episodes out. Links are in the show notes. We've all chosen a bunch of songs that Gad has played on, and not necessarily the songs that you would expect either. We'll listen to parts of those songs, and we'll give you our take on them. We'll talk about his influence, his sound, his legacy, and hopefully do our bit to add to that legacy. So ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn the Gig Life Podcast spotlight onto Dr. Steve Gad. You just listen to me. Hop on the bus, Gus. You don't need to discuss much. Just drop off the key and get yourself free. I think we're drum rolling. <laughs> See what I did there? See what I did there? Look out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast Spotlight Steve Gadd episode. Um, today we are going to talk about the legendary American drummer Steve Gadd. I would like to introduce the panel. Uh, with me in a room in Sydney, Australia, Hamish Stewart. Hey, there's Stevie and folks. Yeah. <coughs> Gordy Rittmeister. Hey, hey, mate. How are you, boys? Good. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, in Wellington, New Zealand, Lance Phillip. Hey. Good to and, see you. And in lockdown in Melbourne, Darren, Fru- <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Darren Ferrugia. How are you, man? Good, mate. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, I'm yeah. honoured to be talking to you guys again. I've had each 
and every one of you, um, we've done individual uh, episodes on the Gig Life podcast. So listeners, go back and listen to all those. They're really good. Um, if I didn't like these blokes, we wouldn't be doing it again <laughs> today. <laughs> um, and I've also, these these four guys, of all the people that I know, are, are the biggest gad uh, gad fans of freaks that I know. So, <laughs> And it's great to have you all here, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Now, what I thought we might start off with, um, we'll go around the rooms and I want you to um, talk about the first time you, if you can remember this, first time you ever heard of Steve Gadd or heard Steve Gadd. Um, and I don't know if you remember what that feeling was or um, – so I might start with might start with you, Hamish, if it's all right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I hope I've got this right because it's quite a long time ago. Maybe Gordy can cover me on this. <laughs> Just, he looks after my memory. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, uh, Herbie Mann wow. at the town hall oh, yeah. in, the 70, oh. in the 70s. That's I'm, 70s. I'm hoping this is right and I'm hoping it was Steve. Yeah, that's... And, <laughs> and I think we'd heard some stuff with him on it. So we sort of knew who he was, but, you know, no one kind of had really got... You know, I hadn't seen him live at until that night, and I, I seem to remember him playing on uh, a set of Rogers drums with with his sound, like with the hydraulic heads and all the toms tuned really dead and and playing groove-based music with Herbie Mann. I can't, you know, I was a kid and I can't remember who else was in the band, but I do remember that feeling and the sound, and I think Doug Gallagher did the support and he told me a little bit, you know, about how the drums were covered with tape and, you know, it was kind of odd and, you know, that that was my first sort of actual introduction to that feeling and it's it's sort of been the same ever since. Like that, that f- his feel, what whatever he's playing and just going through the tunes that we've all s- submitted for this podcast it's the same thing it's like he's just evolved I, I mean I won't go on now but but that that was my introduction to him I think what kind of <laughs> what, what, what kind of music is what kind of music was, was that? well it was sort of groove based it was yeah, yeah in at that stage herbie man he, he was a flautist and he kind of played this um he made a an album called push push with um um uh, Al Jackson played drums on it mm. and it was – I mean it's a beautiful record. Like the rhythm section is just smoking and but really simple and just backbeat and grooving like mad. And I, I don't know whether Steve had worked with Herbie Mann. I think he did because I think I had a look a while ago um, on other records but he was on this tour and, you know, it, it was it was really straight ahead like, like eighth note groove-based soul music. Yeah, Gordy. Well, I was just that. That's so cool because so, I know. Um, yeah, that all sounds exactly like the story Gary Hyde told about um, Herbie Mann in in Melbourne, playing at the Melbourne Town Hall, and Ronnie Sandlands was in the support there. You know, yeah, this, that's Darren. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and apparently oh, cool. Ronnie called Gary up and said, 
oh, you got to check out this drummer. And Gary got there and saw that the drums were all taped up and he thought it was ridiculous. And then he went out the front and it sounded like a recording studio. He's, he, they'd never heard anything like it. It was, it was, yeah. it was incredible. You know? Yeah. But um, for me, um, I, you know, I grew up, <laughs> as, I've, as I've said, watching Countdown and, and like uh, sort of an Oz Rock thug, you know, and, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was into Led Zeppelin and all of that. But I, and I, I did read Modern Drummer. And so I, I knew this name, Steve Gadd, kept popping up. Every, everybody would talk about Steve Gadd. It's early 80s. Hmm. Everybody would talk about Steve Gadd. But I didn't know, you know, <laughs> boy from the suburbs, I didn't know where to look to even start, you know. But um, a, a school teacher of mine happened to be an audiophile. He was a, he was a sound guy, um, but he was also like an audiophile. And he had... Uh, Video laser discs, the the twelve inch laser discs um, that came out, they're, they're sort of a Japanese thing. They didn't really take off until uh, like video. This is pre DVDs, um, and he had this. We had this sort of party night at school, or something happened at school, and um, he brought in these two. Well, he brought in a, brought in a bunch of these laser discs, and two of them. Well, one was the Simon and Garfunkel concert in Central Park. And another was the Grover Washington concert. And, you know, everyone else was out sort of partying in the quadrangle. <laughs> I was just fixed to the TV watching this guy play the drums and did not knowing who it was. And I remember, you know, he did the, like the, 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 um, Simon, the concert in Central Park to this day, I get, yeah. I get chills when I, when I watch that. I, I, it really, really moves me and there's something about the way those guys played together at that time and it's Richard T and Anthony Jackson and Eric Gale on the guitar uh Ralph McDonald's on um percussion on the on the Grover Washington one and Grady Tate's playing sort of double drums percussion on the Garfunkel Simon Garfunkel but it's 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 so deep and the way the sounds blend and it's you know it's it's basically it's kind of the stuff band or you know Richard or at least Richard and Steve and you know it's it's so heavy yeah. like, like it's um it still gets me but you know and, and Gad's doing the the sixteenth thing with the on the ride symbol and the hi hats and and coming down and I just remember seeing that and it was like nothing I'd heard or seen before um and just intrigued me I didn't really understand it but it it just caught my interest and I I realise now looking back that it's probably as much to do with how how deep it felt like it just was you know this this depth in the pocket you know just grabbed me but that for me it's you know so I've never never looked back you know my my Steve Gadd story um as as Lance knows I, I grew up in a a small town in New Zealand called Masterton, and uh, we had <clears throat> we and it's in a in a district called the Wairapa. We had the Wairapa Country Music Club, which was a a club that met once a month at a local hall, and that was my first sort of foray into into music. And I'd started started playing drums, and the guy, the president of that club, he had a drum set in the back of his van, and he said, "Look, if you come." come to our, um, like once a month, you come sit on the drums. You can take those drums home, right? So anyway, um, they used to call me Steve Gadd 
because my first name's Steve. And they go, hey, Steve Gab. And I'm, I had no idea who this guy was. And then it wasn't just, wasn't just this guy Tom calling me that. It was Tom and, and a couple of the other guys in the band and a couple of the older people that, that were the regulars. And because it used to be like we were the house band and these people would come up and sing and, and they'd come up to me and say, hey, Steve Gadd, here's the time, you know. So um, I always kind of knew who this guy was. And, of course, like you said, Gordy, the Modern Drummer magazines, these ads would pop up with this yeah. guy, Steve Gadd. Yeah. And I'm going, I look nothing like Steve Gadd. <laughs> you know, what are they talking about, you know. Um, and uh, the first time I actually heard Steve Gadd was 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And I had another mate in my hometown and he was, he was a real well, – he, he was just a great mate. And, it, like, he introduced me to Gino Vanelli, um, Vinnie Colliuta, that uh, Nightwalker album. Yep. And then, yeah, he also introduced me to the actual music of Steve Gadd and it was 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. And um, mm. Gordy and Hamish, I don't know if you can see that picture up there. And I'll take a photo of this later, guys, and I'll, I'll show you. But <laughs> that's, that's me sitting up there, sitting on a black drum set, Trying to mimic Gad, I got the Gad sticks, got the hydraulic heads, <laughs> got the black curly hair because I'd seen all the pictures. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so that was that's my my Steve Gad introduction. So um, Lance. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but isn't it funny how um, you know, Steve, you wound up having lessons with Norman Gad, you yep. know, in Wellington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not a really popular Steve's name, Dad. surname, you know, and. Yeah. And there's this guy, Norman Gadd, who's, yeah. who's in the symphony orchestra that, yeah. you know, um, was a classical percussionist, yeah. you know. And uh, I think he one time introduced himself to Steve Gadd, you know, and I, but I don't know if there was anything, uh, anything <laughs> further than that, nothing. you know. They had, like, nothing in common with each other, yeah. um, especially the groove. But, you know, but um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, Steve Gadd, look, um, the whole way that I first heard Steve Gadd was because my parents used to get these um, these albums, you know, from the World Record Club. It was sort yeah. of like, you know, back in the 70s, it was this kind of record club thing with a catalogue and they'd order a bunch of records and stuff. And, and for some reason, <clears throat> um, I think because my mother's a, a violinist, she but likes a bit of jazz. And so she heard some Bob James recordings on the radio or something and um and because it has strings in there she thought oh this is really nice i'll get a couple of these bob james albums you know and um so i'm sort of like looking through the album sleeve and you know it's got all the different musicians listed there and i don't know if you've ever heard those first couple of bob james albums you know the first one is pretty popular with the all the rap artists now with um Nautilus, and then I think Bob James' two album has got Take Me to the Mardi Gras, which has got that um, Andrew Smith drum beat at the front of that, you know, that everyone loops and things like that. But anyway, so that those first two albums were where I first heard Steve Gadd, and they were they were on, um, they were like Bob James's um, versions of orchestral classics. That was sort of like this bizarre mix of like um, screaming Maynard Ferguson horn section kind of thing with um, um, with an amazing New York rhythm section. So there were tunes like um, 
There's one called the Golden Apple. Have you ever heard of that one before? Or um, um, then there was another one called Solario, which was sort of a play on the rhythm from the um, bolero. So, so I first heard sort of Steve's snare drum playing mixed in with sort of a, a funky groove, and I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, but then all these other Bob James albums sort of showed up, and that's where I sort of heard a bit more of um, Steve's playing on that. And then it wasn't really until the 80s um, when I got like the, I think, is it the 1983 Modern Drummer magazine with him on the cover of it? Um, um, and that's where I first thought, oh, wow, I've seen this guy's name in all these albums, and I've heard him on things. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of my – I probably heard Steve Gadd on all kinds of different recordings but didn't know that it was him. And, you know, like where I'm from is kind of like only over the hill from where Stevie's from in Upper Hut, you know. Um, so there's not much going on – well, there wasn't much going on back then in the 70s uh, with people, you know, knowing anything about music other than brass bands and orchestras, so – um, yeah, so that was my first introduction. Yeah. A lot of great music came out of there, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Des? Uh, well, you know, as a, I, when I was about 13, I got into George Benson, and so I was listening to albums like Weekend in L.A., mm. Breezen, In Flight, and those albums had Harvey Mason on it. And then for Christmas, my cousin bought me an album, uh, which was a, a George Benson album called Living Inside Your Love, which had Harvey Mason on it. So I thought, and I'm listening to it, and then and then a track came on and the, the drums sounded different and everything about the drums sounded different. There were these, everything just sounded so clear and so clean. And being the inquisitive kid that I was, I thought, who is this? So, and I saw this name, Steve Gadd. It wasn't Harvey Mason. Harvey Mason was my guru up until this point. And, and, um, and then so I became aware of the Steve Gadd name at that point, and I also could hear that he sounded great. Then um, at around the same time, there was, um, I think Chick Corea came out for a tour, early 80s, maybe 81. He had Tom Breckline playing drums. And anyway, I didn't go to that gig, but back in the day, um, the ABC used to have test patterns on the TV, and sometimes I would turn this on to hear what music was being played, and they were obviously <laughs> doing some sort of commemorative chick career thing, and I again, I didn't know who the drummer was, but it completely blew my mind. They, And then um, sort of, then I realised many years later or even a few years later that the tracks that I heard was Humpty Dumpty and then, and the Al Jarreau version of Spain. Uh, and so I, I bought myself the, uh, I, I bought myself that Al Jarreau album for my 15th birthday and just really played Spain to death. And then, and then, uh, you know, hearing 50 ways to leave your lover again, before I knew it was Steve Gadd, I just loved the drums on that track. And then again, it was that res- retrospective thing of going back and going, Hey, that's right. I remember that track and that is Steve Gadd. So like you said, Lance, there's probably a lot of music that we heard growing up that had him playing on it that um, we weren't aware of at the time. And, and 
we're still playing catch up today. The funny thing is, um, and, and uh, you know, I actually, because, you know, I, like all of us, we've had this opportunity to meet him a number of times because he's travelled out here and I still haven't said this to him, but I, I went through a phase where I was buying just about every record I could get my hands on with Steve Gadd in the credits and I still, to this day, as a 53-year-old man, haven't listened to them yet. <laughs> just, just so much. <laughs> I, I, I started to do that as well, but some of the albums that I found were like pretty obscure and um, probably not some of his best work, you know. But uh, well, that that yeah. that happens. I mean, look, you know, uh, you know I, I remember buying a, a Robin Ford album that I thought was really rare, and um, you know, I, I I bought that record because I'm a fan of Robin Ford's playing. And I listened to this album yeah. and I thought, wow, this is not this is not good music at all. And then, you know, a little while after that, I met Tom Breckline, who was playing drums for him at the time. And I asked him about this record. And apparently it was a whole bunch of porno soundtracks <laughs> that, that he had played on, yeah. that, that he had, that Robin Ford had played on. And the um, owner of those recordings had actually released those recordings um, uh you know, at at the height of Robin's popularity in order to make a bit of money and there was some sort of criminal case going on. So I'm sure, you know, there are a lot of those musicians out there who have played on a lot of records um, that, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably not so happy about. I can say that about my whole career. <laughs> you and me both, pal. <laughs> um, yes. As, as Hamish mentioned, mentioned before, um in preparation to this tonight, we threw around a whole lot of songs and, and we've all chosen two songs each. I don't know if we'll get through them all, but um, they'll definitely be in a playlist that uh, everybody can listen to. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. Um, so we'll start going through the list and just listening to parts of these songs. Um, we're not going to sit and listen to all of them. I might sort of might have them running, but sort of just um, fade them down the background while we can talk about it so um i thought since lance you're talking about bob james james i I might start with with your first um pick which is pure imagination by bob james so can you tell us what album that's from um and around what time that sort of came out and if you can even remember remember first hearing that yeah so i i think I think it's 1976, I think, when that was recorded. Um, and um, so anyway, I'm, I don't know, for some reason I was really attracted to, to listening to that particular album. I think I was probably eight years old or something like that. And, um, and you know, I, I didn't even know that that song was from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I kind of liked it. Um, and but I think the thing about this track um, that used to intrigue me was um, on this track is you know he's playing sixteenth hi hats but the bell of the cymbal you know is on the ands and I was thinking how on earth does he do that you know because I'd never seen him play at, at eight years old and I thought wow I wonder how he managed to play the bell of the cymbal and keep the hi hats going. And then hitting the tom tom and the snare and and the bass drum all in between that you know, um, so I I was really intrigued and attracted to like the 
the um, the feeling of it, the sound. Of course, the sound of the drums was, you know, like the the. Yeah, I mean, it was his classic sound, I guess. That um, I mean, I don't know if it was really um, Creed Taylor's drum kit on this recording with Steve's cymbals and his snare drum. Um, doesn't sound like a ten-inch tom on the track, but um, but um, yeah, I was just really amazed by um, uh, what he was doing. And then later on, from listening to it and you know seeing videos and all that sort of thing. I started to figure out exactly what he, you know, what was going on there. And, um, but it's also interesting that you'll hear in a couple of spots there, the beginning of the track and, and sort of about a third of the way in, he's playing a version of 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. So it was kind of like something you could tell he'd been working on that, that groove. Um, so um, was 50 Ways recorded in 78, was it? I can't 75, remember. 75, isn't it? Was it 75, was it? I, I'm not sure, but I, I thought it was earlier right. than that. Yeah. Right. I'll just okay. Google it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it was sort of, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting to hear. And at the time, I obviously didn't know um, at eight, eight years old, I hadn't heard of, you know, 50 Ways to Leave Your Love a Track. I didn't know anything about it. But um, but this pattern was, was carefully crafted and just, flowed seamlessly into the the rest of it. Um, I think the other thing that was really um, impressive about this track that was really different from other drummers was the uh, the splashing of the hi-hats and playing um, 16ths on the the bells of the cymbals or splashing the hi-hat. And also the the bass drum on two and four was kind of, you know, I Mm. thought that was pretty a new thing. And then hitting the hitting the tom instead of the snare drum on As the backbeat, backbeat. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't know anything about samba music or anything like that, so, I, you know, I thought it sounded great. I didn't know anything about it, but there's just um, a whole bunch of things that are thrown in on that track that um, is a good mix of all the things that you hear on a, a bunch of other things that he's done. But um, and there's, there's some good improvising on there, you know, Art Farmer, I think, and Hubert Laws. Mm. I think Gary King is on bass. Um, of course, Bob James. Um, yeah. So, cool. yeah, play a bit of the track if you yeah, want. Yeah, let's have a listen.
are here. Yeah. I'd just say it's the beginning of all those signatures that we've heard. Yeah. You know, it's like him forming all that stuff. Well, it, it, it really points at how much I think I take for granted that he came up with. I mean, like yeah. there's, there's, there's the obvious things, but, you, you know, you, you sort of mentioned the, the bass drum in two and four, and, and I thought, yeah, you're right. I've forgotten that the first time I heard that was him as well, um, you know. Yeah. And and the bell on the ends playing the sixteenths, yeah, that's very signature to him. I don't know who, if anyone did it before him, but it, you know, it's he, he certainly made it his own and made it, and everybody copied it from him. You know, yeah. and for, yeah. for me, he was the yeah. first drummer, first drummer that I heard that, like Lance said, played the backbeat on a on a floor tom. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess and, it, um, the other the other thing that's a real classic Steve Gadd signature, and again, it's just that one of those things that I don't recall ever hearing up on you know until I heard Steve Gadd doing was playing a crash cymbal that was unsupported by the bass yeah, drum. Yeah, bass drum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that bit too. Yeah, that was in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I only ever did it by yeah. mistake. <laughs> <laughs> or or a busted pedal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this bit here is yeah. Quite here's good. the floor. Here's the floor tom, eh? just really love the warmth of that recording, eh? Yeah, it's recorded beautifully. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, production. It's almost like there's an old, they've got a, like a Fairchild compressor and this this part, that part there, I, I can hear the compressor hitting really, really hard. Yeah. And it's almost like... Here's the last bit. It's got the... Um We're going to listen to of yours, Gordy. It was the way back home. When I was telling you, I was watching the watching the live version of it. Yeah. And seeing him do this, the, the two handed, the the, the the ride on the bell, and like I've always sort of just gone, you know, just sort of switched it over. But he's kind of doing like a sixteenth from from his snare straight up to the hi hat. Yes. Yeah. You know, you have you yeah. have to see it. You know. It, yeah. He does he does that same thing too when he plays sixteenths on the like a, a two handed sixteenth. Yeah, hi hat pattern. Yeah, and he play he double so the left hand plays the two and four on the hi hats as well. So it's yeah. going with the backbeat and just so there's there's not a sixteenth missing on two and four on the hats. It's you know I mean, and that 
that's what's happening on that track too. You know, he's, right. he's got the left hand playing the backbeat at the same time as you know everything else that's going on there. And I, that's what I could never figure out. But it's also one of the sounds is with his foot as well. The like the downbeat on the one is with the foot, and then the hand is playing the the e and the r and the. Mm. You know, yeah. it's really interesting, yeah. Since we're talking about that, then I might go to um, one of Gordy's tracks now since we're talking mm. about this specific thing here. It's Way Back Home and it's uh, the album version of that yeah. song. Can mm. you talk a little well, bit, Gordy, a little bit about that? This you know, um, you'll, you'll attest that when you asked us to choose two Steve Gadd songs. <laughs> uh, by the way, um, I said choose two, Gordy sent me 500. <laughs> and said, said, I'm working on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've already... It, it took a lot of narrowing down, but, yeah. you know, and yeah, I'm still not quite sure. But yeah. uh, No, he did um, well with this yeah, one. Yeah, I reckon too. Well, what, this was – the two I've chosen, I guess, um, uh, that, you know, I often – these are often – I often use these in my teaching um, because the, the uh, this version way back home, it's to me it's the ultimate um, storytelling, the way he yeah. – the way he unfolds a chapter – like like a it just increases the intensity, you know every eight or every sort of chorus he just takes it up a notch. Um, it's doing like as far as what he's playing, it's it's the it's the Steve Gadd vocabulary we all know mm. and love. Mm. But the it's it's the way he um, just develops each chorus or each you know behind each soloist and just takes it up a notch. And when Ronnie Cuba comes in, um, yes. you know he's he's just it's just yeah. bursting at the it's, seams. Steam train, and he's he, yeah, and he's got he's shouldering the ride. You know, he's yeah. just got this extra weight until and and they, it's just it's just a beautiful kind of dramatic build that he plays through this thing, and it's like a, you know, a textbook big band kind of arrangement. But it's it he just he's just making it happen from from the drum chair. Beautiful. All right, let's have a See him playing this, slouched over, elbows tucked in. Yeah. I always, you know, if I'm doing it with the students, I, I say it's, it's just on, he's on one now. And he's on, <laughs> <laughs> Hold tight. Yeah. Oh. And the band, you've got to give it to the band. Yeah. Woo. I love that. Oh, it's, it's a feel, right? 
number are we on now? We're, oh, he's on about two or three. He's about two or three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half there. This one here, yeah. This one. Oh! There you go, take her up a notch. Yeah. the four time on the back beat. in the overdrive, yeah? Never had this verified. I think he's double tracked the, the drum solo here. It's him playing it twice. Like, oh, right. that, yeah. Because there's little flams. Yeah. That's it's just. Different, it's a different snare drum. Almost like he's playing us. Because it. Can you hear that? Yeah, Rick? yeah. I, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. I've, I've never had that verified. I, I've okay. always just suspected it's him playing twice. And the snare, the snare changes here. Uh, up or after this, I love. He comes out of here, doesn't hit a crash on one. Check this out. <laughs> see? Oh, Different yeah. Snare drum there. See? All right. Well, he missed it. <laughs> that just that just gets me in the guts. That thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, like I was saying, I, I saw a couple of live versions of this. Um, and yeah, like I said, saw that. Two-handed, actual seeing the the, the ride and the hi hat thing happening. Um, just hey, the way it controls the time too. You yeah, know? yeah. Can I? Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah. Uh, um, two things. <laughs> I would give anything to hear that drum track isolated by itself. I often think that when I'm hearing you know great tunes that I love, I'd love to hear actually just what it sounds like without <laughs> everything else, just to see how that feels, you know, that would be incredible. But the other thing, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, on the live versions of this tune, doesn't he, he plays a solo at the end with just Cornell playing that vamp, yeah, yeah. right? 
Right. And every time I've heard that, I sort of it's been kind of burnt into my mind. It's it's like any time I've ever played a solo with somebody playing a vamp, I'm always terrified I'm going to speed it up or slow it down. And it's just like every time I've seen those live clips of him doing it with Cornell, it's just Cornell's like sitting on the porch, you know, like, well, I'm not going anywhere, you know, like I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to go with you or anything. I'm just going to play this thing. And it just smokes from beginning to end and it just sits so comfortably in the pocket with him playing the most beautiful phrases, you know. Anyway, yeah, amazing. Can I I just tell you my Peter Erskine story? um, (laughs) Just speaking of the the drama of Steve Gadd. Yeah. um, I I was in um, LA in early 2002 and um, Chick Corea was doing a a night at the Hollywood Bowl, which was a like a retrospective of his career. So um, he'd done a, the, the 60th birthday thing, I think, at the um, Blue Note in the New York the year before, and it was a sort of condensed version of that on this one night. So there, there was four four different um, Chick career ensembles on. There was Chick with Gary Burton, Chick with the Electric Band with Dave Weckl and and those guys, um, Chick with the Three Quartets Band with Steve Gadd and Mike Brecker. Eddie Gomez, and um, uh, Chick with uh, Aieto, Flora Purim, and Stanley Clark. So it was this incredible night, you know. Um, but when when the Three Quartets Band came on, Gad Gad did his solo in the thing, you know, and he played that that same vocabulary, <laughs> the stuff, but it just it just got you like and the audience just went nuts watching this thing not and I don't mean just drummers like everybody went crazy yeah. seeing Steve Gadd or hearing S- Steve Gadd do his thing mm. even Michael Brecker was standing there and he must have you know stood by thousands of Steve Gadd yeah. solos and even he I he saw I sort of saw him kind of jump back a bit you know it was just, just beautiful it was just in- incredible anyway a couple of days later I had a lesson with Peter Erskine and I mentioned I'd been there and he said oh how was it and I said, oh, it was, it was fantastic. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd meant to get there. And I told him this thing that Steve Gadd just had this, this magical thing that spoke to the audience. And he, and, and, and he said, he goes, yeah, man. He said, um, he said when I, I first heard him, I was in the, the, my high school band and we went and heard the army band. And this was before anybody knew who he was. And he said, and um, they started playing this tune and it was the meter Sissy Strutt. There's some video of them doing that on the um, on the tribute night thing, and um, and he said he said, but you know, the, they, there were two drummers, and the, the other guy had been playing. Then this guy gets on with the dark eyes, you know, and he said uh, <laughs> he said he said, well, by by the time he said it starts with four bars drums, he said, and by the time he'd hit the second bar, he said we were on our feet screaming. He said it was so funky, you know, it was, <laughs> he said, it was great. And he said he said you know, and he said. And that's the thing he's got. And he said, it's an innate thing. He's, he's just always had it. He said, what he does is he reaches out and he gets a hold of your guts. And he said, and once he's got it, he twists it uh. and he won't let go. And he said, <laughs> you know, and he said, and, you know, it's just this beautiful thing. And, and I'm sitting there hanging off every word and I think, oh, man, I'm, I'm here with Peter Erskine. I better be, better be cool, you know. And I said, oh, that, that's beautiful, man. I, I, you know, I, but I didn't mean to get you talking about one of your contemporaries, you know. And he said, oh, man, he said, he said, I could talk about that cat all day. He said, 
Matter of fact, I got goosebumps just thinking about him. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, man. Great. That's so great. Just on Sissy Strut, um, I, the video you're talking about, I've, I've got it here. I might, I might play it so we can hear it. Um, I saw this for the first time last night. Right. I was telling you, Gordy, I've been going through watching as many videos as I can in the last week. And this just blew me away. The, the thing that gets me with this like he's 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 grooving away, and that horn section, they really start pushing it, and then there's that little section where he gets about a bar, and the bar break, and just the bass drum pattern in this just brings it all back to his tempo. You, like <laughs> you, you listen to this. Hopefully, there's no one. Here we go. That. Bonzo in there too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Those yeah. those drum sounds. It's almost. Um, it, it reminds me of some some hip hop sampled beats. I, I don't know if I necessarily got it from that, but um, I'm sure somebody has. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about his sound now. Um, and um, as we know, like um, his sound hasn't. Uh, how do I put this? You hear a Steve Gadd record today from a Steve Gadd record in the 80s and you know it's him, right, by the sound, right? Um, let's talk about how um, he's kind of developed that sound. Um, I was listening to an interview with him um, not too long ago and he kind of he, – he said he started off on a, on a Gretsch kit with um, no front heads. He's trying to search for a sound. He didn't like that too much so he ended up buying a set of – Pearl chromatic toms. He tried that, um, didn't like that either. And then I think he was on a session, and uh, one of the producers says, "Hey man, why don't you sort of um, try, try this with a with a bottom head on it, with the with the hydraulics on the top?" And I think from that is where he kind of developed his sound. So, um, does anyone want to sort of add to that? Yeah, I, I it, when I when I um, did this thing a few weeks ago, this this Zoom thing. He said that that the, that pearl kit, which is the one, I don't know if you've seen that clip. It it was recorded probably in the seventies sometime. He's pretty young, and he's playing with that band that has Tony Levin and Mike Manieri, 
that was yeah, his the, that was his pearl kit that he had for ages with those with those concert toms. Mm. And then Mirage? because because he wanted a ten inch tom, no one was making ten inch toms in those days, mm. um, and so he had that that those drums modified to have bottom heads put on the mm. on on those drums so that he could have a ten inch tom. And I think he used that kit on a lot of on a lot of albums prior to you know the the Yamaha thing coming coming about, but. I think at some point he may have had a Gretsch bass drum and those Pearl mm. Toms, yeah, and and the and the Ludwig and the Ludwig Supra snare drum, yeah, and then you know eventually that sort of he got he got Yamaha to make him you know what he wanted, but that that's my understanding of that of that Pearl kit, and yeah. uh, I don't know where that ended up. In fact, I don't think he knows where that ended up, right? But he doesn't have it anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I don't know. I, when I talked to him last year, he said that he still had that somewhere, but he didn't oh, really? know what it was. And oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Um, same with like, um, you know, we were having a discussion about his the snare drums um, and, um, you know, for some reason he wasn't happy with the two new snare drums that have just been made, you know, with his guidance. And, uh, and he and he says, Oh, have you got anything else? And I went, oh, I've got this old Ludwig, you know, Supra 400 with all the Chrome flaking off it. Let's try that. And so he was really into that. Yeah. And so we just went back to this Ludwig snare drum. And at the end of the tour, he goes, can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> I went, sure, take it. <laughs> but I've, I've never seen him use it recently on anything, but, um, yeah, he, he seemed to like it for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think those I don't think those Yamaha, you know, signature snare drums really capture his sound that we're, we're used to hearing. Yeah, I, I've, I've got both of them and... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of fiddling around to try and make it sound as as warm as um, the Ludwig snare drum. So, yeah, I I agree. I, I mean, I've got one one of the metal ones, one of the early metal ones, and um, it has a sound, but it's certainly for me not for everything. You know, when I as far as I was concerned, but when I hear him play it, it makes a whole lot of sense. You know, <laughs> it seems seems to work. I, I'm not sure what he's using on the um, you know, the uh, the, the night where they honoured him um, and he plays with James Taylor on that. Yeah. What, whatever snare drum that is, uh, it's it, he, it just the way he blends that with the band is just, you know, it's just glorious. Like yeah. it's just, it, you know, and it, it, mm. it, and it, it may well be one of his. I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't really check that. Is that, yeah. um, did he have wooden hoops on that one or was it the I don't, steel I hoops? don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was steel, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, was, I think he's he's using like a, uh, I think it's a brass snare drum. Um, right. Yeah, I think that's what he's using most of the time. It seems to be, but yeah, but it's, but the snare sound has got to be, you know, his signature, one of his main signature sounds. I, I would think, and then the ten inch tom and um, and uh, the cymbals. I mean, the hi hat cymbals that that mm. he used. Yeah, for let's such a let's long time. talk. Talk about that yeah. for a little bit. I was I was going to mention the hi hats when we were listening to that uh, Pure Imagination mm. um, 
and going going back to the recording too, the the hi hats in that particular song are, are quite up in the mix. Yeah, and oh, I just love it. You know, yeah. um, do you know if he's uh, changed? I'm sure he's changed a little bit, but what you know what what was he sort of playing in regards to cymbals, you know, hi hats back in those days to what he's playing now? We had the old K top, didn't he? Wasn't that the? Wasn't yeah. that his thing? He had an old K top and a an oh. a, a bottom or something. Yeah, I, I mean, from what I can figure out, it looks like he he busted a bunch of those symbols. If you look at that Grover Washington <laughs> video, you know, that you were talking yeah. about, every symbol has got a crack in it, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. in, including the the top edge of of the hi hat symbol. So I think the right, bottom. Yeah, yeah. I think he switched the bottom symbol and put that on the top because the top one was cracked. And then I think that that cracked bottom hi-hat wound up being the sizzle symbol that sits on top of, you know, I mean, he was the first guy that came up with a symbol stack as well, I mm. think, you know. Um, so, um, and he told me that was a 19-inch a Zildjian that was the stack over there with the 14-inch hi-hat sitting on the top of it. Mm. So, and, and he says he doesn't use that 14-inch K anymore because the where you put the clutch in that has sort of worn in such a way that the symbols won't sit properly together. So that's why yeah. he's gone to that that A, cu- I, I re- a custom on the top. And is, is he, isn't he using a, a – his bottom hi-hat has rivets in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got like, um, and it's like a crash symbol, like a 14-inch A custom crash with rivets in it that sometimes he uses on his left, you know, um, Yeah. Um, as a sizzle symbol. But, you know, he and I said, why do you have the heavy symbol on the top? He says, oh, well, it's the definition, you know, that you get out of the stick. Um, and I think that's yeah. the whole reason why he played the sticks back to front, you know, with the tips, you know, at the butt end of the the grip, you know, because you can get more definition out of the bell of the cymbal and, and the, the top of the hi-hat, which I think, um, you know, you can hear when he's playing those two-handed patterns on that old K Zildjian mm. cymbal to get a, a decent, you know, chimey sound out of it. You have to use the butt end of the stick is, is what I could gather from that, you know. I guess that's the thing I love you know, I just love how incredibly unconventional he chooses to be um, in the pursuit of getting a sound. Uh, you know, when yeah. I, when I saw when I saw um, up close for the first time, you know, which was you know a copy of a copy of a copy, so the picture quality wasn't great, but it was still enough to see you know th- that thing of you know playing with the butt end of the sticks, dead sticking yeah. the ride symbol. Yeah. It was the first time I ever saw yeah. a zero ring on a snare drum, and so I made one, and all yeah. of a sudden my snare drum sounded unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, rec- I recall the um, when he was out here a, a couple of times ago, the, the guy who was teching for him, um, I've forgotten his name, but uh, he he said uh, he got him to he'd get him to set the ride ride symbol up so it would hit the tom. He said, because I like it kind of swishing around, <laughs> you know, I like it kind of wow. muddying the waters. And it, I mean, I, you know, I always had a, this image of him from the recordings I knew of being 
um, this really kind of clean, precise yeah. studio guy. Yeah. Which of course, which of course he is. But I remember uh, Toby Hall went to New York and heard him up close one time, and, and came back and and Toby's kind of Toby's kind of a jazz a jazz guy, and he said he said he. He's much more of a jazz drummer than anybody realizes, you know, up yeah. close, because he's getting so much nuance out of the drum kit, you know, mm. getting so much um, texture and color. It's not like which you don't really hear on the records, you know. Not always. You don't always hear, you know. Mm. Um, and it, like it's such so dynamic, and he plays in different places on the ride cymbal, and, and mm. you know, it's all it's yeah, it's it's a real real color, like a real textural thing, you know. Mm. Well, since we're talking about the Steve Gadd as a jazz jazz player. Hamish, we might go to your one of your songs. I wish it was one of my songs. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> one of your selections. It's um, it's Teabag by Steps Ahead. Oh, so, yeah. Kitty, you want to tell us a little bit about this? We won't play the whole thing because it's about three hours long. Yeah, it is about three hours, but there, it's a great three hours. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it it's is. well worth a listen in, yeah. the, in the liner notes or wherever you put it, Stevie, but yeah. uh, I, I, I do remember um, this record um, smoking at the pit, coming to light in the middle of, you know, all of our love affair with Steve Gadd, I think, you know, like it was almost like you couldn't have heard enough. And then this record came out and there was two, you know, two vinyl albums, you know, it's a double album. And it's just unbelievable. Like the whole record is incredible. Uh, and and this particular track, I mean, it's an incredible band, you know, um, Don Grolnick and and Brecker. And on this uh, particular track, it's again, it's a bit like um, way back home. It's like he just grows the. I mean, uh, Brecker goes first, and then um, then there's piano solo or Mike Manuri plays a vibe. So I, c- I can't remember, but Brecker just takes it right over the edge. And and Gad's just it's just boiling behind him, and actually the thing um, that really sort of blows my mind it's like when I first heard Elvin Jones it was it was that same sort of depth of feeling that kind of changed my life, um, and Gad's the same you know it's like his personality and his sound and on this. This track, like the way he builds the whole thing, and he's, it's just unbelievable. I, I, in, in the little notes I made, I, I, at one point when I was listening to it, I just thought, God, can you imagine actually sitting in front of it? Like the whole band, I mean, like in particular Brecker's solo, it's just, it's out of sight. And the tune's great too. And it's, it's you know, not, not a heavy piece of music. It's just grooving its ass off all the way. Anyway, hit it, Stevie. <laughs>
What are you hearing, man? I, I, I always play this to my students as a great example of just playing unison quarter notes on the, on yeah. the ride cymbal, hi-hat, the bass drum. And like, no skip note, but man, it's swinging, you know? Yeah. Um, the, depend, the dependent drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great track, you know, just on so many different levels of um, accompanying and energy and... Um, man, it's a, it's a great track that one too. Yeah, the whole album, like I say, I love it. And also the the sort of the feel like goes between like the double thing and the half thing all the time. It's sort of like you know like he's either hitting two and four, he's hitting a big three. You know, yeah, yeah. like he's yeah. It's the tension thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's the releasing and the it's the messing with you. you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me. And, and like, I don't know if I want to, you know, go too far into that, but I know he he copped a lot of. Um, there was a bit of sort of backlash from the from the traditional jazzers when he he had you know oh, had really? so much success. Yeah. Huh? Really? Is that right? Oh, I I, th- I, I yeah. think so. In, in the eighties, yeah, there was a and yeah. Brecker too. Yeah, yeah, there was this thing. <laughs> um, but to me, it personifies where his priorities lie because. He's he, look to, to me. He's he's a jazz guy, you know. He's a, he started out as a jazz guy. He's a jazz okay. guy, you know. Okay. But 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 the um, you know, in order to make it, he's not he's not afraid to play a backbeat. Um, he, he, you know, he's got there's enough jazz tradition in there. There's there's well, there's plenty of jazz tradition in there. But he's he doesn't in order to do whatever to make it groove harder. He'll do it if it needs a backbeat. It's the same on on his um. The in session DVD, uh, you know, video um, where they play, he plays the brushes thing, and he just ends up kind of stomping fours because it's it's the only it's the only place to go hard, harder, like to dig in harder than right. he is. And to me, it's it's dem- demonstrative of, of the fact that it's a, it's grooving at all costs. It's mm. like a, you know, it doesn't you, you can break whatever rules you like as long as if in order to groove, you know, that's that's what I hear. You know, does. Anyone know when that, where that crossover came from from jazz into in, into into pop for him? Well, I know I know he, I mean he's I know when he first got to New York and heard Rick Marotta, the Rick's groove had a big made a big yeah. impression on him and all yeah. that. But but I think you know I mean he always grooved you know like he's that right. he says that but um, he always you know sound like that that uh, sissy strut's pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty funky to yeah. me yeah. to me you know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at university he was playing every kind of style imaginable, and that was in the late '60s, you know. Um, and and he's always said that he just wanted to make a living from playing the drums, so he didn't care what the music was, whether it was jazz or blues or reggae or funk or whatever, you know. He was he was into it, and um, those early recordings he did was on the CTI label, playing on that Chet Baker album. Um, with, um, yeah. Paul Desmond and Ron, that. Um, Ron Carter. Ron yeah. Carter. And I'm pretty sure, like, Bob James. Were, yeah, well, they were going for that that sound um, that sort of paved the way for smooth jazz, which was, you know, um, that deep toms and, and muffled bass drum and all that sort of stuff. So I, I've never, I didn't really get around to asking him, but I'm imagining that 
the sound of his drums was the thing that was the crossover. And he kind of like mm. stayed with that sound because that's where the work was. He wasn't going to switch out his different, you know, jazz drum kit if he was playing with a, a jazz group, you know. And I think that's the thing that attracted me to his drumming was that he stayed with kind of a pop sound but was playing jazz, you know. And in the 80s, that was that was pretty radical, you know. Yeah. Like you mm. said, the, the traditional jazz guys kind of went, uh, not really into that, you know, because it sounded too yeah. funky, you know. Mm. Yeah. Darren, you got anything to add? Um, yeah, I mean, it, there's it, it, one one of the things that I've heard him talk about in terms of what also influenced his sound was Chick Corea, and because him and Chick were good friends, um, sort of growing up, that you know Chick sort of um, made Steve aware of the approach that um, drummers like Alvin Jones and Tony Williams mm. took. And so Ch- Chick was really showing Steve how those guys played. You know, Chick had real insight into how, you know, guys like Alvin and Tony played. And so so Chick had a massive influence on the approach that Steve took to playing drums in terms of modernising his, his, his approach and also his sound. Because, you know, like we said earlier, um, if you listen to that, there's a Chuck, a live Chuck Mangione album um, uh, from uh, probably early seventies, maybe seventy one or seventy two, and Steve's yeah. got the the yeah. little Gretsch yeah. kit, you know, the sort of typical kind of jazz jazz setup, and so that was his thing. And then I think I think Chick really influenced him about uh, 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 and, and sort of suggested, hey man, you, you know, this is this is what the modern cats are doing, and um, you know, and, and I've heard that from Steve's mouth. You know that I th- I think that was also a, a very pivotal point in Steve's development in terms of him coming into his own and becoming Steve Gadd because you know w- one of the things I was going to say before you know Steve's sound really does influence the overall sound of a recording mm-hmm. you know the the dead the dead the you know the the sort of dead dead toms and the you know, the snare drum with the zero ring and all that sort of stuff, the way his sound sits in a mix and, and even sort of influences the overall mix and sound of the recording, I, I, it's just, it, it, it blows my mind. And I, I think that's a, a, something that a lot of people probably are not so aware of or, or, or at least sort of, or, or, you know, give, give some serious consideration to. Because, you know, um, it, it's Steve, Steve used one snare drum and pretty much had one snare drum sound. You know, you don't hear an album with Steve Gadd on it and think, all right, on this track he's going to have a really tight cranking snare drum, and then on this track he's got the real deep. It was it was one sound, one sound kind of fits all, let's say. I mean, obviously there are, you know, variations in all of that t- stuff, but to me nothing radical. You know, he just had he had a great sound, and, and like you said, Lance, you know, once once he settled on that, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I thought we were going to see a chat. Do you guys know that um, Joe Sample record? Yeah. Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know one of those records. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought that was a pretty radical yeah. change of sound for him. He, he's got, he's got, uh, you know, jazzy sounding toms and yeah, ambassador yeah. tops and 
Yeah. He, did, he did sort of do that later on. Yeah, that's And, I mean, and with James Taylor as well, like he's kind right. of – it's, it's almost it's, like his tuning went up. It's more like open, it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's more, yeah. What's, I mean, what's the Joe Sample album? Did, did you feel that? And the first song is called yeah. um, uh, Mystery I, Child. Uh, I remember and, um, I was talking to, to Weckle about um, about how Steve's Tom Tom sound changed, like on that album that you're talking about there. And 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 Dave right. kind of says that when they did that master plan album where it was you know, um, Steve and Dave yeah. doing trades. And that, I think, is when Dave switched to Ambassadors as well. And so he kind of thinks that that's where Steve got the idea. And that must have been in, like, 1990 or 89 or something when they did Master Plan. Um, so I'm not sure when yeah, right. When did that Joe Sample album come out. Was that? Oh, that that's like, that's 2000, I think, or like, like right. late 90s or 2000. That's, that's, yeah. that's quite later, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, he's. But it, to me, that was that was a big, a big change. I hadn't heard him do yeah. that. You know? So, so oh, sorry, Gordy. What was what was the song that Mystery Child? Mystery have I, Child. Have I surreptitiously, got, <laughs> surreptitiously got another song <laughs> choice here? Oh, I reckon yeah. I don't know how you. I don't know how you've done this. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. I can hear the snare straight away. Yeah. Well, check out the time when he does his yeah. fill. Um, I do um, remember thinking, like, you know, if, if there was some unknown guy who only ever played that album, you'd go, man, that guy's heavy. You know? Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's, I feel that's kind of late in the day. That's probably 20 years old now. But, you know, I, I feel that's sort of late late in the in the GAD kind of career. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so, how, so how do you think that particular sound came about? Producer's call? Uh, well, I don't know. He In a lot of these interviews, he gives credit. To his seventy sounds, seventy sounds to producers, a lot, or you know, engineers. But I, mm. I don't know, I don't know. You, you know, mm. you got to start with something. They can't have been changing it that much. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's him. I, you know, I don't think anyone's. You, you, you get Steve on, on a session. I don't think anyone's going. Do you want to tune your, your snare? Down? <laughs> Change your heads. Yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah true. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you some tape. <laughs> yeah. I think he might be using bigger toms yeah. now. So I, I've seen pictures of him using like a twelve thirteen setup. I think that. I think that's the Eric Clapton and sometimes James Taylor setup, isn't it? To deeper toms. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't imagine Steve without a ten yeah. tom. Yeah. It's sort of. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You, you know the stuff on the stuff live in Japan record. On the cover of that, he's playing three oh, yeah. three rack toms. And yes, that's right. Is one yeah, is one of those yeah. an eight? I thought that's what I thought. Yeah, eight, ten, twelve. I guess eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. Is that is that what? There you go. Well, that's what I was. That's what I, I yeah. wondered. You know, and, and I thought, yeah, that precedes Weckle <laughs> using an eight, right? But, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't last long though, did it? <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's probably, thought, you probably picked that kid up in Japan. Yeah. You know, well, I got an eight up there. I've got to yeah, I got oh, one. That's, that's my Weckle eight. Yeah. I've hit it. I've hit it. I've tried to hit it about a thousand times, and I've hit it 
about ten times. <laughs> I've got a shelf full of them. <laughs> and a whole bunch of unused Remo 80 yeah. heads. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> what do I do with these? Yeah. They make good plates, you know. Yeah, when, when, when was the last time um, you I, used a 13-inch Tom? Uh, I used one on a recording session for a Kate Sobrano album about three or four okay. weeks ago, and and and, yeah. and, and only because I, you know I've, I only because I, I managed to score myself one of those classic '60s Ludwig kits, yeah. you know, 22, 13, 16. Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's it's the only time it's probably the first time since the early '80s that I've had a 13 inch right. Tom. I use I use a 13 quite a bit. All right, sorry. Yeah, on my yeah. Gretsch kit. I, I remember the first Yamaha kit I got, you know, was because Steve had 10, 12, 13, 14 is what it said in the Yamaha yeah. Yamaha oh. catalogue. So I went and bought, you know, a yeah. 13 by 9 floor tom and a 14 by 10, you know, because that's what Steve used. And then none of the photos seemed to look like that. <laughs> but, yeah, they got gotcha. that 13 out of me, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think now. I mean, you, you, um, Darren and Lance, you guys have both talked about um, your interactions with Steve. Um, so maybe let's talk now about um, those times and and the times that you've met him and and conversed with him. And myself, I haven't actually met him. I've I saw him play uh, at the basement in two thousand sixteen. Is that right? Last time he was here with with Steve Gab Band. That was the previous time, uh, yeah, up before the um, the trio. The, before the trio yeah. gig thing, yeah, yeah. So um, that's the first and only time I've, I've seen him play live. Um, so I can't speak too much apart from what I saw. And, and uh, what I can say, I have, I mean, that concert and, and his playing, um, it's almost like a video and movie in my head. Like I can almost see that whole concert in my head, um, just seeing him there. And it was a little bit of fanboy, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. And that's why I just I just watched him. But what I can say though is these last few weeks um, researching for this and all the videos that I've seen, seeing like those really early um, videos of him that he played like that back then. Like you know, as obviously as as people get older, their techniques change and you know their their um the way they sit change. I didn't see that too much with him. Probably more I saw him play a little bit less traditional group grip and more match grip. But still, that you know, that that left hand, his his left hand is right at the butt of that stick that whole time, you know. And and he's just he's playing open, and his arms are almost sort of winged when he's when he's kind of letting go. But then when he was playing really quiet, it's that crouched over, elbows tucked in, you know, just. And seeing, like I said, seeing those those old videos from, you know, late seventies and eighties, mm. seeing him play like that, it just, yeah, it was just mm. just awesome. Just, I mean, I've I've been fortunate to see him play, uh, uh well, you know, well more than ten times um, with a whole bunch of different people. Mm. Uh, I saw him. I think the first time I saw him play was at the Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship concert when I was in New York. Uh, which was great because everyone was playing on that. That was amazing. Wow. And then I saw him play at a club in New York. I've seen him play in Japan. I saw a great gig in Japan with him, with, um, it was him, Will Lee, Bob James, 
and a couple of other dudes um, playing all this sort of um, sort of late 60s, early 70s CTI catalogue, which, fan- which was fantastic. Oh, but uh, uh, the, the first time I met him um, was at a, at a gig in a, a club in New York and uh, I was having drum lessons at the Drummers Collective at, at the time and there was a whole sort of bunch of us goofy kids <laughs> Um, you know, at, at this gig to watch Steve play, um, you know, and, and we spent sort of half of the time watching Steve Gadd play and then the other time, uh, half, other half of the time sort of just looking at each other with, you know, raised eyebrows and surprised looks on our faces, you know, that thing that you do. Um, and, and so I, I remember um, after he finished his set, um, he was leaving the club and he was walking up the stairs with his cymbal bag uh, over his shoulder and a stick bag in one hand and a snare drum case in the other hand. And I thought, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to walk up to him and say hello. And I was about 21, 22 at the time. And um, as he was walking up, I said, oh, hi, Steve. Um, my name's Darren. You know, I'm a, I'm a drummer from Melbourne and I'm a massive fan. And, and you know, like he put his stuff down. He just dropped everything oh, and shook my hand and had a chat. And, and um, I, you know, I... I, there was like total fanboy experience for me. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it was it, it was amazing, and 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 so I've, I've met him a few times. But there, there was one time in particular um, that we, when he was out here with Steve, Ga- with James Taylor for the first time, and um, a friend of ours had organised um, to have to meet up with him and have a coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> you know, we're in, we're in Melbourne which is like a, a coffee capital and, and he wants to go to Starbucks anyway. Um, and I, I remember the, the three of us uh, plus Steve, you know, sitting outside and um, I was sitting next to Jerry and I was, it was February. So I was copying all of this sun. And I, I, I said to Jerry, Hey mate, can you move over a little bit, man? I'm just getting blasted with all this sun. And Steve Gadd gets up and says, no, it's all right, man. You sit here. I'll, I'll, I'll sit there. Like he, he gave me his seat and just, just, <laughs> and, and, you know, leading up to this experience, I was getting dressed and, and, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out going, oh, what should I wear? I'm going to meet Steve Gadd. You know, it was like, it was like I was going out on my first date. It was, it was, it, it was so yeah. funny. And, and then, you know, is, so, is, so, is that, so, you know, I've got, I've that, got my best, you know, shirt on. And and then Steve, we go to the lobby to meet Steve Gadd, and, and Steve Gadd comes down the stairs, and you know he's sort of in his running shoes, his running outfit, you know, and he'd just been for a run a, along the Yarra, and I, I, I was just sort of blown out by how normal he is. Now, you know, like all of us, we've met a lot of great drummers. I've met a lot of really great drummers, and I've got to say, I don't really just because of my personality, I don't necessarily feel comfortable around these people. I feel really intimidated, except for him. You know, he just. I don't know. He's just a normal human being, and he just has a way of making you feel comfortable. I've got to ask you, Darren is is that the seat you're sitting on? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah. That, I, the one I, that I, Steve I, gave I, you. I, I, I stole it. I still, I, I stole <laughs> yeah. it along with his coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He's 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 remarkably humble and and. Um, you know, with every every interview you see, and you know these days we get to see interviews rather than just read them. You can see, like he he he's, he thinks he thinks about every answer, um, and and everything's a gem. Everything's like there's nothing superfluous that that he says that's throwaway or, or or 
or not yeah. thought out. And he's 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 extremely generous and humble, you know. And I I, I watched that um the the tribute night uh, honoring 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 him for in preparation for this just to get me in the vibe as if I needed <laughs> as if I needed to. Um, but you know, there's there's guys up there heaping praise on him, and the way he accepts it with this, there's there's not an ounce of um, sort of f- falseness about him. He's yeah. just he's just uh, generous to a fault. It's it's beautiful hum- humility. It's just it, it's, it's almost yeah. like he's completely unaware of the incredible impact of his music on all of us. You know, it's just well, I, it's just I, I, all taken in his stride. It's just, this is what I do. Yeah, I, 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 I think he is aware, but but mm. but he he manages somehow to, for me, I, I think he manages to be aware and yet be, yeah, generous and humble. And you know, I mean, I, the, the first time I met him, you know, it was like a a lineup thing at a at a drum clinic, and I shook his hand, and said, "Look, man, you know, just <laughs> just want to say you've had such a, an impact." And he said. You know, he heard my accent. He said, "Oh, you, 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 where are you from? I said, Australia." He said, "Oh, you working here?" And he was like, straight away, "It's about me." And I, I was like, "Hang on, you know, like <laughs> I want to talk about you." But you know, he must get sick of it too. But um, he's he's he seems to have all the time in the world, and you know, he's very very generous. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful guy. I I I had two. I've had I've had two meetings with him. The first one was complete fanboy. We it was James Taylor's gig at the State Theatre uh, in Sydney um, and Larry Goldings was playing with him. Um, I'd bought, they, they, they were doing three nights. I'd bought a ticket. My sister bought me a ticket for the second night for my birthday and we did a gig with Larry Goldings at Winebank and Larry said, well, you probably don't want a ticket. And I went, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I went, I went three times and, and Larry said, come down. He said, come back at intermission because when James is on the last tune, Steve's walking back to the hotel because James was doing a solo tune last tune, just vocal and guitar. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, like I, I'm not very good with that stuff. I sort of get nervous and the whole thing. You know, <laughs> I do. And I've also had some bad experiences. Um, but uh, <laughs> Ch- Chad Wackerman was sitting in front of me and uh, he said he's coming back in, in a mission. And I went, oh, you know, um, uh, but I – and, okay, well, if you're going, I'll come with you. So we, we went and Greg Johns was with us and I walked ahead nervously and I walked backstage – I know the state theatre backstage and I walked into the sort of big room. I mean, there's not a lot of room backstage. There was a kind of big room. And there was James Taylor leaning over a coffee urn doing this sort of inhalation thing in between sets and standing beside him was Jackson Brown. <gasps> both both, like I had, you know, I, I, I went through all that music back in the day and I just looked at them like <laughs> uh, um, and sort of looked to the left and I could see Steve sitting on a couch with Larry and they both stood up and I just walked past James and Jackson like, <laughs> a yeah, um, right. And, and and then I walked up to Steve and I just, you know, Larry said, this is Hamish, she's a drummer from Sydney. And I was like, <laughs> and I can't even remember what we spoke about. And then 
that's how nervous I was. And then Greg Johns came up and I remember he said something like, are you having a good time in Sydney? And I thought, why didn't I say that? <laughs> and anyway, so that was, you know, and then I left and watched the rest of the show and it was amazing, you know, it was just exquisite because I love the music and, of course, I love the rhythm section, the whole yeah. thing. Anyway, so years and years later, a couple of years ago I'm in New York. My wife is running the marathon there and, and I have been sort of with her when she's running marathons and I don't want to kind of upset that apple cart but Chick Corea was on at the Blue Note as part of his birthday thing and he was doing the three quartets with Steve and Eddie Gomez and I'm like, uh, we will be going out on the Saturday night, but, you know, on the Friday night or whatever it is. So we wind up there and I'm s- literally sitting behind St- Steve's sideways on the stage and we have this table literally behind him. I could almost lean forward and touch him on the shoulder. I would have. Which, th- which thankfully <laughs> <Yeah>. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And it was just amazing. I mean, I've got tons of video of all this stuff, but um, – at the end, and I told Gordy the story the other day when we were talking on the phone, and I actually said that he he came down the, the, the two steps from the bandstand at the end of the gig and he hugged me, but actually I think I <laughs> hugged him. <laughs> and, but, but it was really beautiful. We sat, we stood and we talked for quite a long time with his back to the rest of the room and as we chatted, and, and he was incredibly generous and I was actually able to talk about stuff. Uh, he was going – it was just before his band was going to Sydney again and I said it's all sold out and all that stuff. So, we, you know, he's really happy about that. And uh, we're chatting away and slowly – I mean, he had to walk around the stage and up the stairs to the band room and slowly formed a queue behind him of which he had – hadn't noticed because he was facing me and we're chatting, of about 40 people. And so that when he turned to walk away from me, it was like the first of about 40 people before he was going to get to the band room. And he just, he just did everybody at, at their leisure. You know, he wasn't sort of hassling. And then at the end of the night, the girls were upstairs in the loo and they said he came out, <laughs> these kids sitting outside the band room, and he came out looking around, said, hi, fellas, and they wanted him to sign their snare drums and all that. He was just like, yeah, sweet. I, I think he's incredibly humble and I, I, I think he is totally aware of his, you know, what he's done. And as Gordy and I were chatting the other day, you know, he's a guy who's done all the work. He's an incredible musician and uh, – and, you know, fortune has smiled on him in, in some way, like whatever that sort of magic thing that that is added to incredible talent that makes you that level of performer. Um, and I think he's really aware of that and I, and, and I think he's very grateful and he wants to – he's happy to give back as much as he can, which is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I mean, it's a funny thing because um, – well, I may be wrong in saying this, but, you know, to me he sort of is the father of modern drumming in, in, in the sense that, you know, if we look at the people that followed him, 
the other big names of the world, like the Weckles and the Vinnies and, you know, and on it goes, you know, he, he was really the, the found, the founder of that particular approach to, to mm. drumming. And, and I think the only other person to have done that prior to that might've been Tony Williams, you know, uh, mm. 10 or 12 years before, before Steve Gadd's impact. And, um, it just amazes me that him of his generation, I don't know if it's his upbringing or whatever, but he doesn't have that air of arrogance about, about him or, or that sort of, I mean, he is an incredibly impenetrable human being as far as his personality and his musicality goes, but he, he just does not seem to rest on that in order to, uh, you know, justify his presence in the, you know, sort of historical sense of what he's done musically for all of us. And that's the thing that knocks me out about, about him. You know, I've, I've met, I mean, I'm not going to name drop, but, you know, I've met just about every famous drummer that, that you could imagine, you know, as they were passing through and not many of those guys make me feel comfortable to be around. Yeah. And he just seems normal. He, he, I could, it, like hanging out with him is like hanging out with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly, he's, he, he's, he pretty much had nothing to prove since about 1980, <laughs> but, yeah. but he went on to prove a lot anyway. Yeah. You, know, I, I, yeah. you know, I think, you know, like he, I, I guess he's, you know, his place in history is assured, like from whatever angle you look, you know, there's so many, you know, we've talked about the innovations and we, you know, didn't he invent the, the hanging floor tiles yeah. too? Wasn't that his yeah. thing? I mean, mm. Really? Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's him. Oh wow. You know, so I mean <laughs> like like there's there's the there's the, the playing, there's the sounds, there's the equipment approach, there's the the, the work ethic that like this mm. like and and then it's one thing, you know, we, I think we said this when, when we spoke, Stevie, like it's one thing to talk it's one thing to have played on a lot of records. <laughs> it's another thing to have played on a lot of world-breaking great yeah. records, yeah. like, yeah. like you know, records that change the world, you know. And, I mean, God, you know, it just it doesn't stop with him. And and as I say, like that, even that mystery child, like, or, or, or I, I think October yeah. Road, like if, 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 if a drummer came along and the only thing he ever did was October Road, you'd go, yeah. this guy is yeah. as heavy as, as, as yeah. anybody, you know. And that's just one, one sort of slight, you know, like late, you know, were late ish in the piece um, thing that he did in his stellar career. You know, so it's it's really um, remarkable. Mm. I know. I know um, sorry, mate. Go on. No, no, you, you finish. Oh, it's just a funny story. Um, that uh, you, you remember Mick Lamb at Billy Hyde's. You know, yeah. Um, Mick told when um, Steve was out here with Paul Simon and the percussionist. One of the percussionists from Paul Simon had been coming into Billy Hyde's in Sydney and. And hanging out, and he said, "I'll bring Steve in." You know, so there was a whole bunch of people there to meet Steve, and um, you know, and he, he so he comes in on this day, and there's all these cats around, and the percussionist is going around introducing him to everybody, and there he is, and he's standing right in front of a, the the big Yamaha Steve Gad poster. <laughs> he introduces him to Mick, and he says, "Oh, Mick." This, yeah, I'd like you to meet Steve. And, and Mick puts out his hand and goes, Steve, um. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, you know, and he laughed at like, and he, you know, he's, he took it in the, in the, in the spirit and it was, it was beautiful, you know. Uh, Mick, Mick told me another funny story about, 
I don't know if it was that exact same day, but Steve went and got some, uh, had to pick out some sticks. Do you know about this? No, go on. So Steve, Steve picked out, had to pick out some drumsticks, you know, his black signature model Vic Firth sticks, and he takes them to the counter. <laughs> and um, there's this young kid working behind the counter <laughs> who, who obviously just didn't know who Steve Gadd was. And and, 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 you know, sort of puts it in the till, rings up a price and says, oh, you know, uh, these are this much. And Steve Gadd pulls out his credit card, you know, with the name Steve Gadd on it and all this sort of stuff. And, 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 and Mick, Mick just ran to the counter and said, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? Oh, poor kid. Poor I had, kid. I had sim- poor kid. similar oh, thing um, in Wellington too, you know, like, because I, I was driving Steve around for like a week, you know, looking after him, and and we we go into the uh, the the local rock shop is the the chain of music stores in New Zealand, and and he says, yeah, I need to get some um, some moon gel, you know, those blue moon gel things. Whereas, yeah, I need to get some of those, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's go in and and um, like. The, only the manager knew who Steve Gadd was, and you know, and they were going, "Oh, can we help?" <laughs> and he, like, he was he was ready to he was reaching for his wallet to to pay for these moon gel <laughs> things, and <laughs> you know, again, you know, the manager runs over, "Oh no, 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 no," <laughs> you know. So it was that was quite oh, funny, man. but uh, like the same the same day, yeah. um, Steve goes, um, "Hey, um, I like those boots you're wearing. You know, where'd you get those from?" And these are like cheap $100 boots from Hallenstein's clothing, you know, thing. And I go, oh, yeah, just just down here. We'll have a walk down Cuban Wall. We'll see if we – so here I'm going shoe shopping with Steve Gadd, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, Lance, let's, let's talk about your experience with Steve because you had a unique experience where, um, like you said, you kind of looked after him for a while while he was in New Zealand. So let's, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, this was, um, this was last year, you know, and, and it was just, we were really lucky that, you know, Roger Fox managed to find us a, a gap in his schedule, you know, that, you know, and Steve's schedule that he could come out to, you know, New Zealand, you know, for a week. And like you said, you know, he was just like everything that you guys have all said, just generous and was like down to earth was, you know, nothing. Nothing was a problem. You know, um, you know, and, and if he needed something, you know, he would just ask it like anyone would ask for anything. There was none of this, um, you know, where's this, where's that kind of thing, and this isn't happening. And mm. he he just went with it. He was really, you know, happy to um, just go along with it. And um, you know, and uh, I mean, I got to. You know, I was like you guys, real nervous about. Oh, gee, I'm driving Steve Gadd around, and I'm feeling, you know, um, you know, <laughs> really nervous about driving someone so famous around in the car and all that sort of thing, and hoping nothing bad <laughs> happens. But everything just went smoothly and had a great time. And you always wished you'd ask him this question or that question after he's gone, you know. But um, but being able to just hang out with him and, and uh, watch him play every night, setting up the gear and um, just watching how he would tune the drums and, and just little details like that was, was you know, uh, 
like they say, you know, there's nothing like actually being there and seeing them play, you know, um, and hearing them um, like he was playing with a big band, you know, um, and watching that right behind him was was just unbelievable, you know. So, um, yeah, I had, I had a great time. I could, I could definitely, like, die now and I would have ticked everything off in the bucket list, you know. So, um, you know, and like Darren, I've, I've, I've met a lot of, the same drummers that you've probably met as well and had to be the roadie and driven them around and all that sort of thing. And, and, um, not naming any names, but, but yeah, you know, Steve was definitely the, the easiest, um, no problems kind of guy, you know, had time for everybody and, um, yeah, just a genuine person and, and very humble and, um, yeah, it's great. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. As you know, the Gig Life podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life podcast, you can donate or leave a tip. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, click on that donate button, and give as little or as much as you like, and just know that anything you give will go back into creating great content for this podcast. All right, back to the episode. I just saw you pull the mic over. I yeah, I forgot it went out of my head. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's listen to another song now. We'll listen to Darren. We'll listen to one of yours now. Okay. Well, um, now what's your preference? Oh, let's let, uh, let's go. Yep. Uh, well, let's go with um, what do you want? And there's a there's a reason yep. that I want to play this was because when I first heard this as a 15 year old, the introduction, the the snare drum introduction blew my mind yeah. and it still does just just because you can hear every note of his double stroke roll i mean it's just like you could just pick out any of those 30 second notes they they're just so well defined and so well articulated and and so there's that introduction um which is great and then in the middle section there's a little kind of um uh, s- section where steve gad's kind of playing a whole bunch of fills on top of a samba bass drum pattern, which, again, you know, it's still to this day after all of these years, decades, uh, still, 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 still gets me super excited to say the least. <laughs> so there's a synth, there's a synth guitar intro first, and and then then we hear Steve.
So what, when did this come out, Darren? I think this was about 77 or something, 77, 78, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't hear it then for the first time. I, I heard it probably when I was about 15. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty much all I listened to for a long time. Is, is this the same album that your other song, French uh, Toast, is No, on? that's um, no? French Toast is off Feel the Night, which came out in 79. Okay. It's pretty amazing. Um, like, the cowbell is going to be... Steve is, like, the only drummer that I can think of that, that really pioneered with the cowbell, you know? Sure, you've got John yeah. Bonham, you know, yeah. smacking away on, you know, <laughs> that, but... Well, he, he did it in a way that wasn't corny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. um, like, there's no other yeah, but... drummers around that same era or before that ever used the cowbell in, in a really, you know, meaningful musical way. Uh, I, there's one thing I did ask yeah. Steve. I said, so when did you start using the cowbell? And he said it was um, Chick Corea's My Spanish Heart was when he dusted it off and pulled it oh, out. Yeah. You know, it was like, wow, you know. Wow. Um, so, yeah, pretty amazing. This is that section I was telling you about. Talk a little bit about his his sort of Latin style, the Mozambique type. Can, can I just yeah, say, yeah, course, sorry, before we go there, sorry to... No, 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 all good, man. <laughs> the, you know, the thing that strikes me listening to that um, and everything we've listened, we've heard, you've got you to remember this is probably, like anything kind of pre-1990 is is recorded on tape where I know, I know um, you know, that's complex music and there's a lot going on. And I know, you know, we all do, do recording and we can all play complex songs, but there's something in knowing that, oh, we'll just do another one, you know, or, or <laughs> I would, you know, we'll drop in, you know, like drop-ins were doable but and, and tape splices were doable, but yeah. it was a big deal to do it. And, um, you know, like there's a different, I know there's a, when, when you talk to cats from that, who recorded a lot in that period, there was a, there's a different ethic about getting it in in one, whereas mm. now there's you definitely got the um uh the, the there's pressure, but it's not it's not the same, you know. Yeah. Like, like yeah. that's he just he he probably played that from start mm. to finish, you know. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. He played it from start to finish, and it was the perfect take. Whereas these days, you do a take, and then someone says, "All right, okay, let's do another one. Play more fills." All right, you do a take with more fills. Let's do another take where you play more ride symbol. Okay, and then and then what you end up hearing is the final result is is some kind of you don't even know how many edits <laughs> yeah. that they did and how and how they like kind of Frankenstein this whole take together. It's just a and and, and so, so so it's almost like you have to have a little less emotional attachment to what you played in the studio because when you get that back, it may not be all of what you actually did in that one take. 
Yeah. Or you get the uh, obligatory three takes and then, oh, okay, we've got it all, now do one for yourself. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I would have done one for myself earlier on, but if it's up to me, I'll just pack up and go yeah. home. Now. Uh, yes. And not to Is mention that, cool? that after you've Is done that... all of those takes, including the one for yourself, then they say, all right, can we just, can I just get you to hit each of your times and each of your symbols? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we'll do one for ourselves. Yeah. 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 No, I'm going I'm to make a sample pack and I'm going to sell it, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I interrupted. But, but it, 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 strikes, it strikes me as, you know, a lot of the great recordings we're talking yeah. about and yeah. we're, we're listening to were, were done yeah, whole with, takes. with a different ethic, a different sort yeah. of um, process, you know, from recording now. It's, uh, you know, and I know, I know people do recordings in one take now, but just the, just the sense that it, it was, it was, a, it was a, that, that much harder to, to fix up, you know, yeah. like you had to get it, had to get it all in one, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah how, how good were they? Like when I think of the sort of Richie Haywoods and, and Little Feet, or you know, all, all those and all the stuff that Gad did back then as well. You know, like as you say, to actually, the job at hand is to play this four minutes smoking. Yeah. And we might have to do it again, smoking, <laughs> and then you can go home. Can I relay something um, that Chad told me that Jimmy Johnson had said? Um, well, maybe Chad has, yeah, no, Jimmy Johnson had said it. And uh, when they were, I, might, I don't know if it was October, right? They were recording one of the records and, and he said, you know, they do a bunch of takes and he said, and Steve would approach each take differently. So like if, say it's a 12-8 ballad, he might play it as a sort of, you know, um, eights on the, on the hi-hat and cross stick on the, on the uh, two and, well, you know on the backbeat. Mm. And then the next take he might do it on brushes um, and then a different approach on the third take. And he said, and anyone could be the definitive <laughs> version. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're all, they're all, you know, they're all musically shaping the thing the way it's, you know, perfectly, like, yeah. you know, and you could go like anyone could be, be the one, you know. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Let's talk a little bit about his, the sort of Latin style he brings into it and the Mozambique and, that kind of stuff. Can you remember the first time you ever heard that sort of thing? And do you know a story of of how he kind of developed that into, or, or sort of um, uh, moved that into the way that he he started playing and where he maybe he, he got that music from? But the first time, well, that that, 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 that track yeah. that we just listened to was the first time I heard that groove. Yep, where he plays that cowbell thing before yeah. the guitar solo kicks in. That was the first time yeah. I heard him play that, and then for for me personally, and and then I guess the the next thing I heard was late in the evening. Yeah, right. It, he does um, in um, on that uh, Simon and Garfunkel in Central Park. They play me, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, mm-hmm. and he does. There's a there's a they, the band stops and they do a break, and he does the Mozambique in that, and it's right. it's absolutely killing. <laughs> you know, like as you can imagine, like it's and it's just. It's so it's so funky, you know, when he when he when he comes out. But you know, I didn't know I didn't know what the hell was going on. But um, you, you know, I recognise it there. I don't want to because you haven't done one of your songs yet, right? Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> it's not as good as your, as good as your guys' songs. Well, well I, my my second choice was yeah. um is is off um you can play it later. But if if that's what it takes, and it's it, yeah. the reason yeah. I, I one of the reasons I chose it is because he. He uses his Mozambique sticking One bar. in three three different ways. Well, the, well, the, it's the yeah. sticking. He uses the same sticking three different ways in the song. Mm. And the first is he plays the sticking between the hats and the cross stick. 
and with the two and four on the kick drum in the intro. Yeah. yeah. Then, um, oh, sorry, beg your pardon. He plays it on the on the cymbals between the cymbals with the um, with the bass drum and two and four, and then the verses are hi hat and cross stick, oh, same yeah. sticking. And then later on, he plays the full the full amazing. But it's 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 but there's this there's love one love there's love one love bar love. in that Gordo, which is in the when they go to the middle eight of the song when that's that there's yep. a stop and whatever and there's a keyboard sort of brass hit thing and he plays that yep. one bar dick dick da da yep. da da uh, on the on the tom you'll hear it man it's like this classic one bar yep. Steve Gadd Mozambique man he's gonna yep. throw that shit in anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, let's listen to that. It sure works. Is that on the bills? So there is cross stick. Love this fill too coming yeah. up. Oh yeah. Between. What's the sentiment inside me? Where her promise used to be. She said she'd be here to guide me. Kick on two and four. I guess now the joke's on me. Yeah, this is the one. Someone takes your place and you'll find the love lies right to your face, love lies. Oh, just what I Yeah, that's killer, man. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. I, sorry, I've, I've hijacked the thing <laughs> no, again. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got more songs, man. Yeah. <laughs> Does everyone know that um, Al Jarreau tune "Save Me"? That's got it's the Mozambique. It's oh, yeah. Mozambique in that 
as well. Um, sort yeah. of a funk pattern with the snare on the ah, uh, but it's re- um, what record Giro- is that from? Giro. Giro. It's called yeah. Giro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. What, what's it called? What's it called? Sorry. Giro. Uh, the album's called Giro. The track's yeah. called Save Me. Yeah. It's a really cool. I, I didn't realize it was Mozambique until I was really trying to figure it out, and I thought, ah, actually. <laughs> There's another version of it. You have to forward it just that there's a big slow intro at the top of it, but... uh... Yeah, here we go. Speaking of El Jero, this is kind of a segue into my into one of my songs. <laughs> Since you buggers are, yeah, I've, I've, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> pushed in. Yeah. Who's, Sorry, whose podcast is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 ours. It's ours. I'll go to the quiet corner for a minute. Sorry. Um, my first song is "We're in This Love Together" by El Jero. Um, this is a song that I played in. That band there with my father, with the with the gad sticks and the <laughs> hydraulic drop heads in my black power beat drum kit. Um, now, uh, just after the first chorus, there's a little kind of breaks down, and there's a classic gadism in there. Um, now, I didn't know how to play this, but I worked out my own way of playing it. As um, you do. But, you know, my dad and the guitarist and the bass player used to just look at me and just take their heads <laughs> Steve so Gadd's not going were... so good to me. I remember <laughs> you, you spoke about this lick in the, um, in the Jeff Picaro one. You, you know, oh, did I? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned oh, it there. Oh, and and yeah. I know the exact one you mean because yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's a, beautiful, a beautiful little thing. And, yeah. You know, it's, and, it's classic, classic Gadd. Yeah. yeah. And this, this one, um, this Look, if we look at production of of this um, album and this song, it's a little bit more, a little bit more polished. Um, the drums seem seem a little bit more crisper, and I think possibly that's from a producer. Or, but it's classic Gad right right from the intro. Um, so I'll just play it now. And that ten inch tom, there's there's like getting towards the end of the song. There's this this little part where he just hits that tom on its own and it's it's glorious. Yeah. Hey, great. Would be yeah. Yeah. It's like diamond yeah. ring, yeah. it's a precious thing. And we never want to lose it. Let's fill into the first chorus. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we hear the music, and we're in this love together, we got the kind that lasts forever. We're in this love together. Lord, and like berries on the 
I just alternated hands and just went. We got the whole thing working out so right. And it's just the way we planned it. We're in this love together. We got the kind that lasts forever. Don't you know? seen the video for this but I don't know if it's the other guys in the band but the drummer because once I found out it was Steve Gadd I wanted to see him play it in, in the video but the actual drummer is uh, he's like blacked out right <laughs> <laughs> so that broke my heart <laughs> so the little 10 inch Tom Phil's coming up You know, with Michael McDonald and yeah. Roger oh, Rowe, yeah. you know, oh, like, I mean, great, great songs and yeah. beautiful. Great, great producers beautiful too, man. Like, and, you know, yeah, yeah, incredible all the Jay Graydon produced stuff is amazing. Yeah. 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 The drum, yeah. beautiful sounding yeah. recordings and great arrangements. Mm. Yeah. That that um, flutter lick he plays yeah. at, at yeah. the end there, that, uh, that's also on the um, uh, concert in Central Park, Simon and Garfunkel, right. at the end of 51 yeah. to Leave Your Lover. And I remember. I remember, and and the drums are really fat and they're mm. sort of echoey and on that thing. And I remember hearing that for the first time and mm. like flipping out over that. I couldn't. I did. You know, I, didn't know what he I did the same, Gordon. Do. And I remember trying to work. Yeah. I spent a year trying to work that out. You know, before I knew <laughs> yeah. before I knew what what was going on. I, I had to leave the room for a second. But um, the, the other thing about that track, Stevie, that we just listened to, was that that. Um, that flutter lick that he does going into the second verse as acrostic. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I just, yeah. you know, I Ouch. just didn't think that was humanly possible. And then he was doing that, he was <laughs> yeah. doing that stuff decades before that became a popular thing in more recent times. Mm-hmm. Du- doubles yeah, yeah, yeah. on acrostic yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's crazy. Uh, uh, that hurts. Is it, I, I always thought, and you, you probably know Darren, I always thought he played, um, like it's it's a sort of inward uh, inward double, yeah. so but the the um four the fourth note so it's right cross stick cross stick with the left and then foot with the left is that would would that be right like so um 
I can't. I don't want to try and sing it. Uh, Go but, on. But I thought yeah. you can sing. <laughs> like so, the, the fourth uh, thirty second note is a, is a hi-hat? a, the hi hat with a foot. Is that uh, that's what I thought? Uh, you know. Uh, I I don't know. I, I always thought it was like kick left left right right left left. Yeah. Right. Right. So maybe that that makes sense because that's, that's. I mean, you know. But yeah, I just I I, I wondered if it was the left foot was involved. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it could could be. <laughs> <laughs> but is, isn't it cool, the, um, just the fact that it could be a half-time funk shuffle like Jeff Beccaro, but he plays eighth notes through the yeah. whole thing, and it's... And, yeah. And it's... Yeah. Same, same as... Um, yeah, it, it swings it. just as hard as playing all the, the notes of a shuffle without him playing all the notes. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's all an implied yeah, exactly. kind of shuffle, the way that he's playing it. As opposed yeah. to say how Jeff yeah. Picaro would play all the notes of a shuffle, and and it would still sound amazing, you know. But right, and yeah, it, the, it all comes down to that right foot, true. Eh? that right foot, just yeah, yeah, just just laying off on that second double. Mm. Oh, sorry, on the on the mm. first double, giving it that little bit of a. Yeah. Yeah. Little bit of a loop. Yeah, but right, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say it's the yeah. same in roof yeah. garden, yeah. the, um, the, the Aldro, and I, 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 yeah, I was just. How, how he managed to to sort of play more like a, um, a a team player, you know, and keeping, you know, he doesn't have to play the whole groove to make the whole thing work. Each person in the band has got their role, and he's he's just one part of it, yep. as opposed to playing, say, like the Bernard Purdy shuffle, where you're playing every note within the subdivision to make the whole thing work, you know. Um, so um, yeah, I, that's what I really like about that track too—the feeling of it. Or maybe it was a maybe it was a case of, all right, now we've just played <laughs> <Yeah>. Spain. It's <laughs> a lot of bloody notes in that. <laughs> <laughs> Need a bit of a rest. <laughs> yeah. Post Rosanna, for me, anything anything that um, ever had the suggestion of of being anything remotely like a halftime shuffle. I played it, I played it like with a yeah. with, with Jeff Picaro, you know, yeah. little triplet ghosted yeah. until I heard um right. Roof Garden, you know, cuz it yeah, he's just playing the, the the eighths and and when he grabs when he grabs anything that is a 16th it's swung, but he it the the nuts and bolts or the the bones of the groove are just the it's a straight eighth yeah. straight eighth funk beat, you mm. know. Amazing. Yeah, I remember once Gordon uh you know, the way you said it to me was when Steve Gadd turned 70 and you said something along the lines of, you know, he, he's he's outlived Buddy Rich. And I, I thought that it really surprised me when you said that um, because Buddy Rich sort of seemed like a bit of an old man, you know, by the time, yeah. by the time yeah. he, he passed away. And yet there's still, there's still this youthful energy in Steve Gadd, and this is still this beautiful enthusiasm. Steve Gadd's what seventy five now, um, and yeah. and you know really amazing, and especially considering you know what he put his body through for all of those years. You know the 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 addictions and 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 just the the, the excessive amounts of work that that guy did, and I guess the the, the drug habit that mm. came um, along with having to support that. Um, man, and you know, here he is. All these years later, we're still we're still buying records with him on mm. it. Man, I, I, mm. 
that's that's an, an amazing an amazing career. Yeah. Incre- yeah. Incredible vitality. Yeah, you know yeah. we. we yeah. I know. Sorry, I was just going to say, you know, like we're 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 able in this day and age to still bear witness to one of the greatest music careers in history. Mm. Yeah, it's still going. It's, it's, That's remarkable. Like it's, it's still, still going. It's, and it's, yeah, and it's, it's yeah. still hitting as heavy as it ever did. Like, you know, yeah. like still coming out with beautiful yeah. gems. You know, it's like, yeah. We've, we've been sort of, um, like we said earlier, like sharing stuff with each other through emails and different links and videos and stuff. And um, there's some Instagram stuff that he's still – like he's like who sent the who sent the video of the um of Gad playing on on top of the oh yeah I sent that yeah on top of yeah. the oh from Facebook that was yeah on top of the table and then it, it looked like the husband came home or something oh, that one yeah the pizza, the pizza <laughs> yeah. box yeah. The yeah pizza box yeah yeah, yeah. and he's That's, just he's just he's just got to be moving you know so swinging I, yeah. I love. Uh, I love Rick Marotta and I love the relationship he has with Rick, you know, and how like they're just, they just look like such great, great friends. And, and Rick, 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 you know, has always sort of got this like snide remarks about how much Steve worked and how much, you know, he, he got the calls and, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And he's, you know, there was a time he said to Steve, man, you know, why are you, why are you still working so much? You, you got to, you, sh- you should slow down, you know, why, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? And, and Gad looked at him, he said, Kids need new shoes. Do you guys ever? Did you guys ever see um, those two Italian um, drum oh, drum yeah. guys? And they invite oh, yeah. Steve invite Stephen and the pizza and, delivery yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. pizza delivery guy. And and right at the end of that, he's he's singing Tarantella. And playing Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover. Now that's really because da 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 da. Ball game, butts, butts, ba boom, boom. I said, "How did you do that?" And he goes, "I don't know." Because <laughs> I mean, that, that's Isn't actually that... pretty hard to sing a, a swung Tarantella, you know, song, and then try and play Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover with with your hands and feet. It's like, wow. you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 fulfilled the promise. Uh, you, like you look on that um, uh, the tribute to him, and 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 there's all like John Beck from the Eastman School of Music and Louis Belson and all those, you know, those generations of heavy cats who saw him when he was young and and knew that he was special, and and he 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 went on and and you know I think it's kind of ticked all the boxes and made them all proud. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing. But he was he was a he- he's obviously just heavily. Heavily gifted as well as his 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 musicality, mm. but I, I I do love on that on that Italian yeah. thing that where they ask him what's a groove, you know? Do you remember yeah. that? And and he says a, you know and a, a groove's an agreement. It's, yeah, yeah, you know, mm. yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's be- beautiful. It, 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 that that um, um, I, I keep thinking about that uh, you know that Zildjian honors Steve Gadd. I think that's some something along the lines, and, and and I think that's um, Bill Cosby's last public appearance. I mean, like they—they obviously can't re-release that DVD now. (laughs) That's all right. They're going to get Rolf Harris to host. (laughs) Speaking of which, you know, now now this is another interesting thing, Stevie. Um, uh, You—you know, when when, at at the height—I would say at the height of Steve Gadd's popularity. 
there were all these, you know, rumours about Steve Gadd, that, you know, Steve Gadd, Steve Gadd's fee was $4,000 a track and he would get driven to sessions in limousines and all of that stuff, which, which um, I think in one of the Modern Drummer interviews, he said, you know, I don't know where this, I don't know where these rumours nah, come from, you know, he just, but, yeah, but yeah. you know, there, there, there was a lot of yeah. sort of hype and, and, and all this sort of mystery about him and, and, and people would like to sort of make up these stories about him, which I think is a, is another example of, you know, when someone is that great at what they do mm. and, and, and certainly as um, prolific and ubiquitous uh, that, that people start making up these stories, uh, you, you know, I, I, for, for whatever reasons, I, I'm not sure, but I just found it really interesting that mm. that's kind of where things went because, he was just such a, a a god of 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 the of of the of the music scene back in those days. Yeah, you can say. Oh, I, I just wondered if you'd ever heard that story. Um, um, I think it was that guy. Do you know Ben Sidron? You know that. He, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And there's yeah. there was an interview or or some sort of um yeah an interview thing where they said Steve was was late for a session. You know, like um. 30 minutes late for a session, but everyone said, yeah, but Steve is still an hour ahead of everyone else at the session, you know, <laughs> you know in terms of like musically being on top of it and then ready to go, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, there's it yeah. incredible stories, um, you know, about his, you know, him getting through sessions um, and, and you know, either being incredibly tired or, or you know, affected by by drugs or whatever and you know i've heard stories where you know he's come to sessions uh you know late and you know just in all all sorts of disarray and and yet you know the minute he's plonked behind a set of drums and and you know the the, the red light goes on he is on and and it makes me think about you know how when we're hearing those classic recordings how much of that stuff are we listening to where he's actually affected by all of that stuff? And, uh, you know, I, I, I personally think that there are some recordings of his where I think he's really on, like where he's really clean and there's just some, and there's another level of stuff going, going down. But man, you know, if, if he can sound that amazing, you know, with the stuff that was going through his bloodstream and the amount of, you know, just, probably on very little sleep. I mean, that is just uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah. He, he said to me yeah. that um, that whole period was just like um, really cloudy. He couldn't really think straight. He, he said he, he would never want to go back to that whole era um, and that it was just kind of, um, yeah, he says he can't remember a lot of the details of, of all of those great recordings and all that sort of stuff. But, um, but yeah, he just said it was really, uh, not, not actually a, a great buzz as, as what he thought it was at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, and he, yeah. and he, and, you know, like I said, he, he, he survived it and, yeah, um, yeah. and here he is all these, all these years later and he's yeah. still doing it, you know, still ah. playing the instrument. I think he look he looks, he looks more healthy now yeah. Than what yeah. he did when he was <laughs> yeah. in his forties, I think you know. Um, yeah, he definitely yeah. looks healthier. Yeah, 
I, I really like his um, his sort of work working class uh, ethic about about work. It's you know like you, every sort of interview you hear now. He's he moved to Arizona, and they say, "Why'd you move there?" He said, "Well, there's some work here." Yeah, you know that's think, right. Yeah. Man, like you know, with all with all his um, innovation and stardom and all that, he's still a, he's still a working drummer. Like yeah. he still he still wants to get work. You know? yeah. I, I love that. I love I love it. it's it's a real um, sort of old school work ethic. I, mm. you know, uh, yeah, the, the idea that, that, in that in that trap set interview. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea that someone would Sorry, move dude. to a desert for work as a drummer is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let alone Steve Gadd. Yeah. 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 Well, California's a desert, isn't it? Um, I want to ask you guys what you think, um, and and probably specifically the the educators, um, Gordy, Darren, Lance. Um, I I don't consider myself an educator. (laughs) I don't consider myself educated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say that too. Um, through your guys' teachings and, and the young people coming up, um, how much of GAD, I mean, we did talk a little bit about it. You were, you know, you were talk, Gordy, you were talking about how he's on one, you know, when, we, when you play them that track, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Lance, you were talking about um, how to play, you know, like showing some kids playing in unison, that, that kind of thing. How much of GAD are you showing your um, your students and how much do you think they're already aware of? Um, is it something that you're making sure that they are aware of? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely in my curriculum, you know, at, at the music school. Um, mm. Second-year drummers, we're, we, we spend, you know, two semesters looking at comping of Steve Gadd and, um, and the soloing vocabulary um amongst all the other greats but definitely spent um a big chunk of time looking at, at his playing um yeah so it's pretty pretty significant for me mm. yeah how do you feel they they take to it um do they, do yeah they well, it? i mean Are they yeah, understanding um, it? um yeah they all i mean i think you know they, they probably kind of listen to the sound of the drums and think Oh well, that's kind of '80s sounding drums. Although mm. some aspects of his drum sound is kind of like back in fashion again, which is really cool, you know. Yeah. Um. So um. Um. You know, really, really happy about that. But yeah. Um. I don't know. Most of the students haven't really heard Steve Gadd before, and I have to really kind of, you know, sell it to them. You know as I do with probably most of the drummers that we're looking at at the music school. It's like a big selling point to them, you know, uh, to get them into mm. it, you know. But at the end of it, yeah, there's usually a couple of who have latched on to the essentials, you know, and see how it fits in. Yeah. Goody. Um, look, I suppose I, I'm, I'm not teaching as much these days. Yeah. And so – when I do get guys, they're, they're guys who want to work on specific areas who are probably, um, you know, working guys who, who who would be already aware of Steve Gabb. But he's, he's yep. certainly my my go-to for, you know, demonstrating any point pretty more, you know, many points I suppose. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I use everybody. But um, I do have one sort of humorous anecdote from, um, and I might have told you this um, 
years ago. And this is, I can sneak a fourth tune in if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a guy come to me. He was, he was a maths teacher, a school maths teacher. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not playing the drums anymore. This was like the 80s probably still, maybe early 90s. And he, um, no, it would have been early 90s. He, he was sort of an older guy and, and had taken up drums late but very kind of um, had a very cerebral approach, let's say. And he was asking me about 30-second note hi-hat, uh, snare drum, hi-hat combinations, yeah. gat-esque things. And I said, um, and so I wrote out a couple of things and, and got him to play it and demonstrate it. And I said, there's a great example of it as a, as on a, of, of Gad playing it um, on a tune on an Eddie Gomez record called Mezga. Yeah. You guys know that yeah. one? Yeah. It's a, just, okay. a, just the duet with, the, um, with Eddie and, and Steve. And I said, oh, you know, so we, you know, we went through the thing and I, and I put the record on and um, <laughs> we're sitting there listening to it. And I'm just getting taken away by the pocket. It, it's it's so funky and it's like it's so sort of um, grounded and weighty and fat and he's like it's beautiful. And I've, I've forgotten about the 30-second notes. I'm listening to this and going, yeah, man, I'm just falling in love with Steve Gatt all over again. And it gets to the end of the tune and the guy looks at me and he goes, yeah, I don't know what all the fuss is about Steve Gadd. And I'm like, we, we, just, we just listened to the same, the very same thing yeah. and it just – like it's just flooring me, and and I guess if you're not if you're going to miss it, you're going to miss it. But yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, maybe it's a stage. Like you know, you probably heard it later and and realised. But uh, gets it. you know, yeah. um, but you know that yeah, I, like uh, any number of things I, I use him for. Uh, you know, um, Lance. Uh, uh, in in looking at this, I I found I've got I had a guy just recently who's he's he's doing big band. Um, stuff he plays plays his wife's a singer and he plays sits in with her big band and sings and, and plays the drums and he wanted to get some more big band kind of thing going and um, I've got a version of a, a, a big band tune arrangement called Basically Blues which is um, a Buddy Buddy Rich band thing and I've got a version of Buddy playing it um, Warren Daly playing it and Steve Gadd playing it. And they're all – it's fantastic to watch the three of them playing it together. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, we went through this arrangement. And I noticed, uh, Lance, that um, when Steve was there, he, he yeah. played that with the big band, with Roger Fox. Yeah, band, yeah. yeah. It was unbelievable, you know, his, his um, dynamic level approach to it. And, exactly. Um, exactly, yeah. And um, he wouldn't hit everything and he wouldn't set up everything and he kind of had really figured out what he was going to – um, land on and make a big deal out of, you know. And, and there were moments, yeah, you know, right, there yeah. were moments where, you know, he thought he was going to topple over with some of the drum fills, you know. But you right, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, it just created well, great tension. A little bit like Alvin Jones would would create tension, but but yeah, it like yeah on the on the on the making of uh, Burning for yeah. Buddy, he plays he plays plays it on that, and you see him on the video, and there's some figures and. And he pulls the band back. You, you think he's he's not going to make it, he, and he forces the band to to just just with his sheer weight, just sort of 
you know, it's like, um, one, two, three, and it's so dramatic and exciting. Yeah. You know? But um, and, and it's interesting because the, the one in New Zealand is, is quite different. Yeah. He plays it quite differently, yeah. but it's still got that, you know, that shape. But, yeah, I, I use him as a great example mm. for, for all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just just going back to the, the burning for Buddy thing and that tension and is he going to make it or is he not, that that um, solo he did with Gad, with Gad and Collyuda. And Wickle, sorry. So Gad's in the middle, um, Dave Wickle's off the one side and Vinny Collyuda. And then they're, they're trading eights, right? And Vinny and... Vinny and um, Weckle are just like trying to go as fast as they can. And then, you know, Gad's just doing his Gad stuff. Like, but there's one towards the end where he just starts going, and you don't think he's going to make it, eh? I'm going to put a link to that in in the show notes because. me just standing here going, duck, you don't get it. Yeah. You have to, you have I, to I, I didn't, I, I didn't know, get it, Stevie, I mean. but I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> you know what, like, just like, um, you know, we've been listening to these tracks, right, and like people, they're, they're only going to hear the audio. I, I, I think, I'm thinking like I might try and find some little bits of video Clips in here because the video session's been recorded on. Oh, no. oh, I was ashamed. Just, just, just us. <laughs> I've been just, hooking into the chalky <laughs> biscuits too. <laughs> no, no, not, not not all of it, but just parts where we're like listening to the songs and then there's little bits that come up and like we're all goofing yeah. off. Hey? I think you can't you can't kind of you can't kind of get that by listening to it. You got to yeah. see it. But um, yeah. I, I, if, yeah. if I could just um, say something too about that Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship concert, so. So I went to the very first one that was held on Long Island back in 1989 and on the day that that was happening, the film crew pulled out. So they restaged it in Los Angeles, um, I think, in September of that year and that's the one that ended up um, being released. But um, on on uh, on the one that I went to, um, Don Famolaro was hosting it and, yeah, it was, you know, Gad, Weckl, Vinny, Louis Belson, Greg Bissonette, Joe Morello, and a few other other dudes as well, sort of lesser known people. And um, I, I, some, you know, maybe a couple of years after that, I, I, I met Dom Famolaro for the first time and told him, you know, that I was at that concert. And anyway, he 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 told me a great story. The concert hasn't started. Everyone's in the green room, you know, just you know, leading up to the concert about to start. And he said that, you know, Weckle's on a pad warming up, just going nuts on a pad. Vinny's in another corner of the room with a pad going nuts. Bissonette's doing the same thing. And Gad is walking with, he's got his sticks in his hand, his drum charts under his arm, and he's just pacing up and down, just trying to get that yeah. tempo right. That w- I heard that story. <laughs> you know, yeah, like what, yeah. what, you know, Says that, it, who does? Who Says it all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did have his metronome with him that whole tour in New Zealand. And every before every song, you know, it was metronome. Right, got it. You know, and that was it. You know, he was very pedantic about the tempo. Yeah, that, uh, man, that's a, just another 
another reason why I just have so much incredible respect for him. Um, you know, it, if, if, if I may say something about the educational side of it from my perspective, and, and, yeah, and, and yeah. one of the things that I think we're up against, you know, drummers of our, our generation teaching people who are, you know, a generation or two below us is that they, it, it's really hard to make them get what it is about Steve Gadd that is, um, so appealing to people of our generation and, and because you know you know there's there's you know let's say the current trend of drumming is um you know it's chops it's fast it's loud it's monodynamic and and when gordon was talking before about um you know his chosen track where you know gordon said you know just the way this whole thing unfolds and unravels you know that 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 isn't something that's really hard to make young dudes understand because they're, they're, I think a lot of young drummers, their perception is really so, it's so visual, you know, watching people play is such a thing. And, and you know, I, I, an example of that was I was talking with a, drum, a, a young student once and I said, oh, you should check out some Vinnie Colaiuta. And he says, oh, I have been, I've been checking him out. And I said, oh, great, what albums do you have? And he said, oh, it's just on YouTube. And that that's it's it's really hard a few maybe a few young students will get it but i don't think a lot of young students will get why that impacted us so greatly why his playing impacted us so greatly because we're at a stage now where you know shorten the tension spans and you know all that sort of yeah. stuff it's 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 hard to get through but so what 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 i i always use steve as an example of you know great time playing what not to play and and then you know just also just digging into his vocabulary and saying oh you know this real this really great lick of steve gads is really simple you know when you break it down it is this and a, a, as a as a way of demonstrating um uh you know that 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 vocabulary even complex sounding vocabulary does have its roots in you know pretty much basic stuff like Paradiddles, for example. Mm. You just mentioned Vinnie Colliuta there. I've, I'm going to bring up a track that he played with Gad, and it's the Six Million Dollar Man soundtrack. Really? I don't know if you guys have heard this. Um, somebody talk. Oh, oh, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll, just you know, because you said Vinnie Colliuta, there are some recordings of drummers like Vinnie Colliuta and even early Dave Weckles, so early Vinnie and early Dave, where they do sound a lot like Steve Gadd. So there's a couple of tracks with Vinnie that I'll, I'll, I'll mention. One of them is called Stride. It's a Tom Scott uh, from a Tom Scott album, and um, uh, the, the album's called Desire. And th- that track, you know, Vinnie, mm. re- you could really hear Steve Gadd's influence in Vinnie Colliuta, in Vinnie Colliuta's playing. And there's another track. I, I don't know if, if you remember, there was an album that came out in the 80s called Session 3, and it was a, an album that was released by Yamaha. It was a digital recording, so an early digital recording. And it was... Is it got black and white cover? Yeah, black and white cover. It's two keyboard players. And, yeah. and it, was to re, it was to promote a keyboard, the first digital keyboard that Yamaha released, which was the predecessor of the DX7. So this album's got Vinnie Collier and Nathan East is playing bass. And the last track on the album, Vinnie plays some... Uh, like he's trading fours or something. And the phrasing is so much like Steve Gadd. It's really great to hear that direct line of influence. 
from Steve mm. Gadd. And then then the you know the early Weckle things like um, that Michelle Camillo album called Why Not the mm. solo the solo yeah. on um, on the title track. Man, that's you can again really hear the the strong Steve Gadd influence in the, in the vocabulary and certainly in the drum sound as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I remember Weckle uh, saying it at a drum clinic once. He had to. He had to consciously stop himself at anything, anything in a certain tempo rage from doing the, doing the ride symbol sixteenth and yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know he said because every every song ended up yeah. there. You know, well, he said, he, he said you know at, at a clinic here in town he said that you know firstly he had to stop himself from going to see him play, and <laughs> right, and, right. and and he was saying at yeah. one point or someone maybe Jay Oliver said at some point he was so obsessed with Steve Gadd that he grew a beard. And there was a photo on his one of his old websites, <laughs> yeah. a young Weckle with a beard. Yeah, <laughs> I've I found I found Thank the God. track. Yeah, six, dollar, six yeah. million dollar band theme. Hey man, we're filling it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah and, um, it. Stretch. I was tap dance. It's off an album, Randy Waldman yeah. Superheroes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here, here we go. Can you hear them both yeah. in there? <laughs> My God. It's pretty special, eh? Yeah. Very nice, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. cool. Hamish, I'm going to play one of your songs, Jealous Kind, Joe Cocker. Yeah. I found, look, I found this really interesting, this selection. So. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I, I have the same thing as well as all of us, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like what, what, what do you choose? What yeah. do you choose? Yeah. And then I thought, just like it's just such a great rhythm section take. And everybody, it just feels so great. And there's not a lot going on but except the combined, you know, the agreement of the group and clearly it's, it's stuff, you know, it's the, the 
um, Joe used stuff on a couple of tours and a couple of records. And uh, again, like I've always been, I love Joe, um, Al Jarreau, Michael McDonald. I love singers. So uh, this for me was when I was going through all sorts of different Gad stuff and all the, the bigger production stuff and everything. Yeah. I thought this is just like these guys are just playing this tune. Yeah. Like no one's ever going to hear it. Yeah. And yeah. it's just so beautiful and so natural. So so this is the stuff band. Yeah. And, right. and, and you know, I, I think from what I've read and what I've heard Steve say, like these guys helped form him, you know, at that time and certainly in the groove sort of yeah. perspective and – you know, Richard T was a dear friend of his, I think, and and the other tune that I picked with T Bag is obviously a yep. you know tribute to him. I, I'm assuming, um, but yeah, so that's what that's what I'm getting at this. What year was this? Dude? I think it's seventy six. If I seem rude, he's down Some more that you once knew, that you say used to be so close to you. It's just that I'm so afraid someone might steal you away. I lose my mind. They got all, all the time in the world, eh? Great tune too. It was alright when I first met you. I did But now things have changed. I'm just not the same. And now I'm fine. I want you all to myself. gonna say you know the way you the way you guys described that just before you know they, they got all the time in the world nothing to prove man it's beautiful mm. Mm. yeah it's just it's like a bunch of guys hanging out playing and, and 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 that sort of relates to what you were saying darren too about the the younger players having it all on youtube and all that which we're all enjoying of course as well but in the beginning it was just vinyl yeah. You know, we we kind of got our our information from some liner note writing guy about the music that musicians played. Probably a year after it happened, too. Yeah, like. yeah, <laughs> but by some sort of intellectual talking about Coltrane, or you know, whatever, whatever, whoever it was, and and we like you talk about the sort of flutter hi hat things with Gad. I mean, we'd sort of 
I'd be listening to those things, lifting the needle off the record and, you know, going back and back and back just try, and then trying to sort of somehow imitate it, like you said, Stevie, you know, like you just kind of go, oh, this is my version. Exactly. You know? and, 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 and I think, yeah, it's, it's sort of very much, you know, music-driven yeah, Let, let's not forget though that he was he was big on education early on, and he his the D, his DCI videos were the first drum instructional videos. No, Elvin, well, Elvin's was an instructional right. video, <laughs> but it was the first drum video. I oh, think. Right, okay, yeah. yeah, right. A different drum. Mm. That's called. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, but you know, Steve was um, that was a you know I mean I so they set in modern drum and that was that was important to him to to sort of pass the stuff on and and I guess I'm of the generation that was, you know, videos were coming out in the 80s, towards mid-80s, I guess, and um, and so I, I got to I got to see how he played those yeah, things, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's certainly, you know, and I know, you know, you talk to the, old, the, the older cats around and, and they go, oh, you guys were lucky. We had we only had records or we only had, yeah. we only had 70, 78s. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, obviously I had the videos too, <laughs> you know, eventually, but, yeah. I remember, I remember sitting watching videos with you too, and um, it's interesting too. Drum, when drum you, videos. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly we did that. we did that as well. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting. here we go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's here they go. It's descending. It's yeah. descending. Yeah, it started no, already. We, we um, are, it's interesting uh, watching and listening to music. Um, how how your listening changes depending who you're listening with. Absolutely. You know, you know like because I remember. Oh no, I won't go into it. But you, <laughs> but you pointed out some things. You pointed out some things, and I thought, yeah, that's yeah, like it's an angle I I hadn't thought. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> you might want to. You can edit all that, can okay? Yeah, nah, stay in there. Oh, no. <laughs> I just want to say, Gad is a prolific brush player. That's something that we haven't talked too much oh. about. Like, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah, his, yeah. his yeah. like. There's a lot of recordings, whether it's contemporary or jazz. I guess he would be one of the first drummers to really make brushes funky sounding. Um, um, yeah. That that I that I can think of, um, and a lot of people copied that aspect. I mean, even the way that he plays, you know, Mozambique between the snare and the hi hat with brushes, you know, like that bullet train yeah. um, track. Um, or uh, even um, "Summertime" by Al Jarreau, you know, with the brushes on that, and 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 that Joe Sample album that you were talking about as well, I think has got brushes oh, on yeah, there. Yeah. I saw I, I saw Steve um, play. I think it was at the Apollo in London when I was living there. Um, he was playing with um, Randy Crawford, but it was the Joe Sample. Uh, was it yeah Joe Sample trio? So it was Joe Sample. Mm. Joe Sample's son was playing bass and um and steve and uh that the trio came out on the stage first and they did three instrumental tunes and then randy did the rest of the show Hmm. because it was her gig and um (laughs) you know this is this is going to blow your mind he played not only did he play that whole gig with brushes but he did it with the wires turned off on the snare drum Oh. And and yeah, and it's well, oh, again, yeah. it just it's that thing of that, you know, that restraint. You know that he's he's not itching to pick up the sticks and go ballistic, and he he doesn't feel the need to turn on the wires on the snare drum to 
to offer any kind of change in sonic quality. You know, he's just <laughs> he's just there playing a groove. And um, you know, I was teaching at a drum school there, and a bunch of my students were there, and you know, they got it. You know, I was really pleased and very impressed. They got it. They got that he was just happy to to, to you know not to play all of the all of the licks and vocabulary that we know and and another opportunity that i got to see him play there was with um was at ronnie scott's and it was that group that he had with um paul bollenbeck ronnie cuba and um uh joey defrancesco playing hammond and again you know like he he would he would there was one tune that he played a solo and it was basically two brushes in each hand and the bolt and the whole thing was on the two floor toms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and uh, the fact that he, he you know, he, he's prepared to do that, that he's prepared to, because, you know, obviously when we play brushes, there is a whole bunch of our vocabulary that we probably can't do because it's just a different, mm-hmm. a different way of going about things. And, the fact that he's happy to settle for that and enjoy the sound that the brushes create without having to fall back on mm. all of his vocabulary—it's—it's it's, mm. it's amazing. Yeah, I, I remember um, Jim Kelly once telling me um, he was in LA and and they went to a club and and saw him play. It might have been the Baked Potato. I'm not sure, but it's a small a smallish club. This is probably 80s, early 80s. And he said it, he was the only guy not playing like Steve Gadd, <laughs> not, not not playing Steve Gadd. You know? <laughs> didn't didn't. Yeah. Oh, it's just just an, an observation. I, I I got to hear him do a, a drum clinic in Boston once, and um, uh, there was a bunch of things that that struck me, and it was it was beautiful. Um, and I end up sitting next to Dave Maddox from the Fairport wow. Convention. He was he was because he lives in Boston now, but um, one thing that. It struck me. He, uh, Gad came out and he, he's just, he's just beautiful. He's got this, you know, beautiful humility and, and um, he, uh, you know, he, he said this thing, someone said, um, uh, do you get nervous? And he said, he said, yeah, you know, man, I, you know, I get nervous. He said, but I, he said, I just try to, um, he said, I, if I start thinking about things like I can't play as fast as that guy or I can't play the things I used to be able to play or whatever, he said, he said, "I just, I just um, concentrate on the music." And he said, "I just, I just try to remember that I love you and you love me, and it's all cool." <laughs> but it was there wasn't a shred of there yeah. wasn't a shred yeah. of ego about yeah, it. Yeah. It was it was just it was it was actually just how you know it was real. Just, the, the real thing. Yeah, yeah, it was wasn't like it wasn't weird. It was just beautiful. But uh, but w- what was interesting when he he played and he started he started playing and he was doing his thing and it was beautiful, and and then he sort of stopped and he said he said clap. And he clapped and he started playing the same kind of vocabulary. But I thought, yeah, he, he, he loves playing with people. With, yeah. it, it's, it, like he loves having yeah. support and playing. It, it, right. Like the, the stuff made, it was different when he started playing with the people. And I thought, yeah, man, that's, you know, that's it, isn't it? It's like it's, it, it's all about what we can do together, you know. That's what struck me. Yeah, uh, he did a clinic in Melbourne about three or, three or four years ago. And and uh, he's actually a very funny man. Like I didn't realize he 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 had such a sense of humor. But he said a great thing about you know, uh, getting in like like avoiding going down that sort of dark path of getting inside your head and questioning everything. And just the way he said it, he said, 
it's like going into a bad neighborhood. You know, you don't want to go there alone. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Hamish, you got anything? Uh, just actually, that 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 time when I met him at the um, intermission of the James Taylor concert, a friend of mine, Dave Hibbard, you know the drummer, yeah, yeah. Dave. Yeah. Um, he had actually. He's got a bit of front and um, he actually rang Steve, found out where they were staying, rang Steve and said, or left a message, I don't know if it was in person, but I said, I'm, you know, uh, a Sydney drummer and I really love James Taylor and I really love your playing and blah, 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 but I actually can't afford a ticket. (laughs) So Steve organised two tickets Dave at the State Theatre and when I met him that night when I was super fan he said uh, you know uh, Larry Golding introduced me as a drummer and all that stuff and he said oh do you know do you know a guy called uh, Dave Hibbard <laughs> and I was like wow you're kidding like and so <laughs> You know, and like, you didn't know at the time that he called. No, <laughs> how's that? No, and, uh, well, that's pretty out. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I, when I told Dave, I said he actually said your name. You yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, cool. Haim, do you, do you remember what your comment was to Bill Risby at interval of oh, God, no. of that gig? Because Bill's Bill's told me he ran in there at the James Taylor, and there was you know he takes an interval, and yeah. you ran into Bill in the in the interval, and you said to Bill. That's what you get if you use your technique for good and not evil. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's true. so true. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. No, no Rambo drumming, <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 It's like Gad said too, like, fills are for thrills but groove pays the bills. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, man, do you yeah. say that? That's, I think that's he wor- did. That's worth bottling right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's, a, there's that, I think it's the 10th anniversary of modern drama. Um, where they kind of did uh, interviews with lots of the buddy and 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 Steve and um, I remember in there the guy says um, <laughs> he asked him a question and uh, about you know what is it like what what's the technique what's this what's the sort of thing you know and he said and he sort of you know I could, he said he thought about it for a while and he said uh, look I think a good groove cuts through a whole lot of bullshit. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you can yeah. make if you can make people feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I once um, Enzo Fiella was uh, uh, used to be the Yamaha rep. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, he's the guy that organised that coffee at Starbucks. Mm. Right, <laughs> right. Well, Gad was Gad was coming out. Might have been with Paul Simon. or was you know it was an earlier time. Um, and he he rang me and said, oh, "I've arranged for you to interview Steve." I was like, "Oh, cool, great." So <laughs> so. I, I went back through you know, in preparation for the interview, which I'll, I'll, the spoiler is it ne- never actually happened. So I, unfortunately, I never got to do it. But in preparation for the interview, I went back through all my old modern drama magazines and, and scout every interview and, you know, Percussion International and Downbeats and all sorts of stuff, looking for the question that, that you know, I was smarter than the interviewers and I, I was going to ask where Steve would, you know, unwittingly um, spill forth the secret of drumming without, you know, because I was so... <laughs> incisive and you know and um 
And I realised reading all these interviews that he says it every time and, and you know, basically he says, you know, I, I try to find something that fits and make it feel, feel really good. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's pretty much what he does. Yeah. yeah. And, to, you know, despite all the obvious innovation and, the you know, we've, all the things we've talked about, the, the, the techniques and the, the various stickings and the beats and the 50 ways and the, the, despite all of that, I think none of that would have meant anything had it not felt so great. Absolutely. You know, it's just yeah. it's just it's just the yeah. way he finds the middle of it. Yeah. Um and uh because he can, you know, you can hear that Joe Cocker thing where he's not doing he's not playing anything that most people can't play, but it's how yeah. he's playing. It, yeah. You know? It's just how, how just, he's playing with the group, like how everybody's playing together yeah. is amazing. And and I think that's the thing about like great, you know, great drummers or most of them. You know, is that the music actually comes first somehow, yeah. you know. Like even the, the great technicians, you, you know, when, when they're playing behind a soloist or something, it's, it's incredible. And it's the – well, for me, it's the, it's the physical feeling that yeah. attracts me every time. And Gad was – it was something really easy about him. You know, like it's so palpable. Mm-hmm. It like captures you so totally that, you know – you just can't, you can't turn mm-hmm. away, mm. and and I haven't t- I haven't turned away my whole life since, you know, well since mm. hearing him, you know, mm. since we all, and here we are now. Well, talking you know, about that's that's him. so <laughs> true, Hamish, because like I said at the start of this whole thing, you know, I remember when I heard him for the first time on that George Benson record, my ears pricked up. It was just like, well, hang on, this this yeah. is not a sound I'm used to hearing, yeah. and yeah, and yeah, like it, we're talking about him now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lance, any final uh, thoughts? Not really. I, yeah, I, I think um, like you were talking about simple, sort of simplish, minimalist kind of drumming, uh, rec- you know, parts that, that Steve has come up with, you know. Um, I remember one track that just blew me away that was a, a David Sanborn, Bob James album. I don't know if you remember that one. but Yeah. Um, Double and, vision. Um, yeah, double vision, yeah. yeah and right. um, there's a couple of – well, there's one track where the, I think it's Paulinho da Costa's playing percussion on it. But Steve just lets Paulinho fill up a lot of the subdivision and, and Steve is just like boom, da, boom, ba, you know, just like hitting a backbeat. for, yeah. And it sounds – you know, it's not playing it half-heartedly. It just totally fits with what's going on there. You know, um, and I just I'm amazed at that. And you know, I've I've done gigs where I've played percussion and played with other drummers, but they don't they don't hear things the way that that Steve here would hear a whole group and how his drum part fits in with the music. You know. Um, so I think that you know that's that's one of the cool things, and and I think probably we've we've sort of said it in a way, but he's got to be kind of like the blueprint for the, for the the working drummer, you know, to be able to play in all those different genres, you know. Mm. Um, I mean that that's sure, you know, we 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 look at great drummers like Tony Williams or Alvin Jones or all these great jazz drummers, but none of them were as versatile as, as Steve Gadd, you know, where he could cover all those bases so well, you know. 
Um, I think I think that's another amazing thing. And we're, each of our examples have kind of covered all those different areas. Um, you yeah, know. and you know that uh, you know that's great, Lance. What you're saying, and because uh, it's it's exactly right. You know, and 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 what I get from that is that. You know, he's just so prepared to put his ego aside. Yeah. You know, it's it, yeah. and it, it just, you know, if, if there was one last thing I was going to say to personify him and his musicality is that, you know, it's what I think Bill Evans um, was quoted as saying, you know, you, you've got to put the music first. And mm. he's always done that. He's, you know, there's no ego in, in what he does. He just puts puts the music first. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, there's that. And he's still Sorry. working. Yeah, <laughs> it's still working. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> there's that quote on one of the not the um, Zildjian Day in New York, but the, one of the previous Zildjian Days that there's those sort of videos floating around, and um, he's playing with Ralph McDonald. But he says, you know, uh, for me, it's it's the music that inspires me to play the drums, not yeah. the other way around. Mm. That's you know, yeah. that's yeah. pretty pretty succinct. Yeah, right. yeah. That's, awesome. that's that's a good way to end it. <laughs> yeah. It is tops. Lance Phillip, Hamish Stewart, Gordon Rittmeister, Darren Ferugia, thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been an yeah, absolute thanks pleasure. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hang, with you, hang with you yeah, guys again. Um, it's a bloody joy, man. Like, personally, I mean, you guys are inspirational to me, not just as a drummer, but as people. I, I've, I've, um, I mean, Lance, you and I have known each other for, mm. for many years. Um, but, you know, uh, Darren, Hamish, Gordo, just in these last, little while we've got to know each other quite well and yeah. become friends and it's it's just awesome to be able to sit and share all this stuff with you guys and you know it's like a lesson every time <laughs> I hang out. <laughs> it's well it's, it's I really appreciate yeah. appreciate being here because it's it, it's it's something um very dear to me and like you know Steve's thing and you know you sent me that interview with Rick Marotta and I like I feel nostalgic for something I wasn't even a part of but I but, yeah. I, but I, I feel yeah. like I was I feel like I kind of was there for so much of it and and um and and it was it's so deeply in it's, it's so deeply ingrained I you know I really he's 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 the guy I think that that's moved me the mm. most you know yeah right yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. certainly yeah, yeah. Mm. Awesome. same yeah